Welcome to the Gill Athletics Connections Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Cunningham, National Sales Manager for Gill Athletics. Our goal today is to connect you with coaches from around the world to learn their journey, share their stories, and just figure out who they are and what they're all about. So without further ado, let's get on and find out what today's guest has in store for us. All right. Thanks again for joining us on the Gill Athletics Connections podcast. Super excited. I'm just so humbled that you would be here again with us today. We've got, I mean, honestly, an amazing audience uh, that listens to us on a weekly, daily basis, if you will. And, you know, honestly, that just is so humbling to me that you would spend hour to sometimes hours of your time listening to these great coaches. And uh, it just I'm always floored when anybody listens to any of these. So it just, uh, just so thankful uh, from all of us here at Gill Athletics that you would be, again, joining us here on the Connections podcast. If you would do me a favor, so if you're receiving value from this podcast, whether it's previous episodes or just the uh, podcast in general, the best way to give is to give, right? So I would ask if you think other people would receive value from the podcast, hit pause right now. Make sure you come back. Today's guest is awesome. This is going to be an amazing conversation today, but hit pause, go share the Gill Athletics Connections podcast on your social media, email newsletters, Twitter, Morse code, smoke signals, whatever you use to communicate nowadays, TikToking. I don't even know. I barely can spell TikTok, uh, but go out and share either your favorite episode or just the podcast in general. It would mean the world to me. So hit pause, go do that now and come back and let's, let's get on with the show. All right. I'm going to assume you came back. I hope so. Cause we've got a great guest today. Uh, I've known today's guest for I don't know. This is one of those where it's like I've known today's guest for a long time, but I can't actually think of like where we first met. I think I remember, but uh, that's always a testament to me. If I can't remember where we met, that it, we're just kind of good friends for a long time. So help me welcome Indiana University assistant coach, uh, the man with the shortest name in the world. I love it. Mike Herb. Mike, how are you, sir? Man, I'm good. I'm good. You'd be surprised how hard that is for people to spell sometimes. It just an E and R and a B and they hear different letters or they want to put an H in it or there's a V or something like that. But um, it, you'd think it would be really simple, but but it's not always uh, that way. And and first of all, thank you, man. I, I This is an honor for me. This is really exciting. Um, you know, having gotten into the podcast world a little myself, I've got a huge appreciation for what you've done, not just in the uh, the quantity, but the quality and, and listening to a few of those podcasts already. Um, you've certainly got a real talent for this. And to be able to sit down and have this conversation is uh, is just really something I've been looking forward to. And, and I do, if I might remember where we met, was um, I, we did a level one USATF school together at uh, Milwaukee School of Engineering way yes. back probably in 09 or so. So yeah. 10, 12 years ago, somewhere around in there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I remember running into you there for the first time. That, that's what I was thinking, because I remember I used to, and I think it I lost it, unfortunately, during moves and stuff. From that um, level one, you guys gave out to all the students, I think, and definitely to all the teachers, a little uh, MSOE bobblehead. Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, that was, I think, my first or second class I taught. And um, yeah. Haven't done one of those in a while, but they're a lot of fun. They're 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 a lot of work and long days, and um, yeah. I really enjoy those. And maybe one day we can get back to doing that again. I seem to remember that was your first. Now that you mm-hmm. brought that up, I seem to remember because I had done several. I I actually uh, quote unquote retired from doing them about. 
this is 20, you know, time is so hard, right? With uh, mm-hmm. COVID, you kind of, we lost a year, but maybe around 2017-ish, maybe I stopped. It was like my 30th one that I had done. Wow. And work was, you know, just my responsibilities continue to grow here at Gill Athletics, thankfully, that it just, I wasn't able to do the justice to the students that mm-hmm. I had in the past. I didn't prepare as well. And, uh, and it started showing, you know, my teaching started going downhill and I was like, well, this sure. isn't fair. And there's other mm-hmm. great teachers out there. So, um, but I definitely, man, I enjoyed teaching level ones. What a, that was a lot of fun, man. They're, they're a ton of fun. And I, I remember I used to get stuck with the dreaded physiology section of those things. And the first <laughs> one, I, and, 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 you know, as well as I do, there's, you, know, you get in front of a group and sometimes you get into a groove and everything's coming out great and it makes sense. And then there's sometimes when you're just grasping for the side of the pool and you're drowning, you know, and and I specifically remember a couple of parts in there trying to go through, you know, like, uh, you know, muscle nerve connection stuff and motor unit, you know, processes and thinking, OK, I thought I knew this until you stand up in front of a group and they're asking you questions and it's right. and it's tough. And, um, you know, that's some some complex things. But um, I always look at those clinics, which I haven't done for a while either, but they seem like a great idea when somebody asks you if they if you'd like to come and speak at the clinic. You're like, man, that sounds like a lot of fun. I can't wait. And then as you start to prepare, it gets more and more stressful and more and more anxiety comes along and you think why in the world did I decide to do this this is going to be so stressful and I'm going to screw this up and then you know you go through your preparations and then it feels that way in my experience up until go and once the green light goes and you're in front of that group and you start to speak you look down at your watch and you're like, did 60 minutes go by already? You know, it, it's when, and, and it gets to be a lot of fun. And then immediately you think to yourself, I can't wait to do that again. And then that whole process happens again of, again, that's just sort of the way I've experienced it. But certainly those, um, those level ones, I mean, shoot, you're up doing three hour sessions and, and two and three of those a day. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot of prep work, but, but it's a lot of fun. And more importantly, somebody did that for me. And somebody mm-hmm. stood up in front of a group for me and I, you know, feel so uh, responsible to pass that along to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully they do the same because that's how this thing goes. And I've, I appreciated that so much. So that's really what drove me to want to do those things. And um, but they're also a lot of fun. I'm amazed at the people that we've had in classes, like, you know, mm-hmm. five, 10 years later, some will say, oh yeah, you were my level one teacher in St. Louis or Milwaukee or, uh, you know, Birmingham, you've done kind of mm-hmm. all around the country. And it's really, it's, you know, when you're doing the class, you know, you have 30 to, you know, somewhere, sometimes up to a hundred, depending on the school, you, you don't get to really know each individual. So it's kind of interesting years later when someone's like, yeah, yeah, you were my teacher. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm so sorry, by the way. <laughs> Well, you know, another funny, there was a, I did the a strength and conditioning certification through USTFCCCA, hmm. the coach Butot, right? And we were sitting around talking after or in between a session. And, you know, there were, it was a big group. Um, and there were a lot of uh, veteran coaches in the, in the audience that day. And coach, and I, coach Green from Kentucky comes to mind. I mean, a couple guys have been around a long time. And, and coach Butot level two to me years ago, which is another story, but, um, he was like, yeah, it's really great to see all these veteran coaches here today. You know? And I said, yeah, there's so-and-so and so-and-so and, and coach Boo goes, I was talking about you. <laughs> and it was,
was like the first time I had felt like an old, you know, I kind of wow. saw myself as this young up and coming coach, you know what I mean? And, and again, this was like two, three years ago. And I was like, shoot, I guess I have been doing this like 10, 15 years now. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not that new guy anymore. I don't have that excuse. Yeah. Um, and it was just kind of funny and, and sort of a wake up call that like, man, you've been doing this a minute and, and uh, it's been a while. You know, that's interesting. I wonder, and you mentioned Boo, who I just, you know, changed my career coaching wise and, yeah. uh, and, so many. Know, and look up to not only as a coach and, you know, obviously he's got quote unquote, every accolade you could have as a coach, but as a teacher, that's what has mm -hmm. always blown me away about him, his ability to teach. Uh, but you have all these great coaches, Dan Path, Lonnie Greens, you mentioned, uh, Boo, I wonder how they see themselves versus kind of the, the language we just used there, you know, the veterans versus the young and upcoming hustler, if you will. I wonder, I, and I'm willing to bet that they keep that hustle mentality with them throughout because that's what keeps them on their edge and they're always learning. I, I've seen Boo sit down in other people's presentations, taking notes. And I'm like, Boo, you know, you know, you, you probably wrote what this person's teaching. Like, what are you doing here? They're sure. always, always learning. It just, uh, just amazing to me, you know, whether someone's been in the business for two, three years or 30 years, you know, to keep a high consistency, a high level of accomplishment, you got to be doing something special. You're not sitting on your laurels. I don't know anybody who's sitting on their laurels that's doing well uh, in, in this profession. No, no. The, the coaches that I look up to the most, the best coaches I've worked with are, are absolutely students for mm -hmm. the beginning to the end. And, you know, I'll preface this by saying I will definitely mention some names today. And it is absolutely not name dropping. It is 100% giving credit where credit mm -hmm. is due for where I got to today was because of some really crazy, amazing people. Um, and the one, you know, like Coach uh, Rock Light was, was one that was, you know, just a consummate student awesome. of track and field. And, you know, just, uh, uh, and, and Coach Boo may be one of the best teachers of any subject that I've ever mm -hmm. had the pleasure of sitting in front of and, and down to earth and whatnot. And, and I also, and there's so many more, and hopefully they come out as we talk, um, you know, that I owe these things to. So it's absolutely not trying to put myself next to greatness. It's just giving credit to people that were super influential and, and helped me get to where uh, I'm at today. Well, that's important, right? I mean, I've said this a couple of times in the podcast, it, you know, the name of the podcast, the connections podcast, uh, it's very like on point, like there was a reason, like it, it was a, when I started having the idea of doing a podcast, like it immediately came to me, oh, connections. Cause mm -hmm. uh, the one goal that I, that we have here for the podcast is that it will connect coaches. So a coach, you're, you know, you're at Indiana university in Bloomington, uh, a high school coach in Texas is going to learn more about you and maybe uh, send athletes towards you or sure. you hire that person one day because you guys connected, get connected, mm -hmm. but also to the side that you just mentioned there, it is about uplifting and honoring the coaches, the people, the mentors that have come before us and pushed us. You know, it, it's a fallacy to think that we are, everything that we've accomplished up till today is all because of, of the person in the mirror, right? I mean, that's sure. a fallacy. We, you know, there's, there's that um, statement, we stand on the shoulders of giants, right? Well, there Absolutely. are many, many giants and those giants aren't always the uh, well-known names of Abu Sheksnader and Rock Light who, you know, God bless, what a great guy. He was my um, uh, combined events uh, teacher at level two. Mm -hmm. uh, great, great guy. Uh, but they're not always, you know, sometimes it's the, we had a great story. Dwayne Ross from NCAT was uh, told us a couple of weeks ago about a great story of his high school French teacher who, when he went to Clemson and was going to run at nationals at um, Tennessee, she went 
and walked to the track and called him from a payphone. This is back in the day, right? Right. And, and was like, hey, you're going to, I just walked the track. You're going to win a national title on this track. Oh, cool. This was his high school, small school, North Carolina, high school mm-hmm. French teacher. No one knows who she right. is. He does. And that's what is important. Yeah. That's the giant that he stands on her shoulder because she showed interest and love and empathy towards him as an athlete and as a person. I mean, it's, that, that's what it's about. So let's learn more about you, Mike. Uh, we okay. gotta be, we gotta be careful. We, we can't turn this into the Mike and Mike show. Well, you know, I know, right. This Mike. is commentary on the world. <laughs> yeah. 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 That'll be for another one. You're, you're so good. You're, you're trying to turn it into a, like, I'm part of the show. I'm, I'm, I'm the humble host who gets to ask the questions <laughs> and you get to give the, uh, the wonderful sure. enlightening answers that, uh, you know, people are going to quote that. you on Twitter. So you gotta be careful what you right, right. say here. So, uh, let's learn about how you got into this profession and sure. maybe we'll start with you know what was track as an athlete for you was that how'd that start in high school club what how'd you get into sure. track and field um yeah you know high school or I should say track for me started kind of late compared to where I talk to athletes now that are that I recruit and whatnot I started uh running track I think it was my freshman year in high school and really the only reason I did it um you know again being from Pittsburgh being from western Pennsylvania you play football or you wrestle like those are basically the two things that you do. Wrestling's huge, especially in Southwest Pennsylvania. Um, I did that a little as a kid, but that's another story. Um, but yeah, you play football. So, you know, here I am a, probably as a freshman in high school at five foot six and 125 pounds, you know, and trying to play football and looking at track and field as something to do in the spring to quote unquote, stay in shape or whatever that means at the time to play football in the fall. Um, it was outside and there were girls there quite frankly. So it was a nice fit, you know, that was like, gives it keeps me busy. It, uh, it, it, maybe I'll figure out something to do over there, but it was really about getting ready for another sport. Um, and then, you know, flash forward four years later, um, to be perfectly honest with you, what, one thing I remember as a younger athlete that came from playing soccer to playing little league baseball to, uh, even in, in football in high school, I was always on really, really unsuccessful teams, Um, you know, never won. I mean, I could tell you like when we were in, well, there's a lot of stories about not winning. Um, And then I got to to high school and ran track and, you know, I started being competitive. I started able to win some stuff. Now, I also joke that, um, uh, you know, we're from the, we're of the similar age here, Mike. And, you know, when we were coming up through high school, there was no internet, right? Like it just didn't even exist. And I'm fortunate for that because among the small suburban Pittsburgh schools, I was kind of good. You know, I, I could beat some kids from the hundred, you know, person school down the street. Um, but if I had known where I was in the scheme of things, I don't know that I would have continued, you know, or never thought that this would be something that I could actually pursue. So I was fortunate to have been insulated in a world where we didn't know what everybody else was doing. And if I could just beat the neighboring school, I felt like I was doing pretty good. Um, you know, so, so that's kind of where that came. And then, uh, coming out of high school, um, I got recruited to play football mostly. Um, again, I was similar in height minus about 30 or 40 pounds, maybe from where I am now. So I looked like a cross country runner, but the size, so I got recruited to play some division three football, but when I would go on those division three visits, um, I'd always ask to talk to the track coach. And what I learned pretty quickly was that 
my marks in high school, while not that great, were still competitive at the division three level mm -hmm. pretty much immediately. Whereas I was going to have to work and gain, you know, 30, 40, 50 pounds to be worth anything to play football, even at division three level. So I made the decision somewhere in there um, to go to Allegheny College, which is a little division three school in Meadville, Pennsylvania, yeah. um, to, and to run track and to not play football. And, um, and that's kind of, how it all started you know that's that's where it got going and you know again among the uh division three athletes and certainly within our conference i was fortunate to be able to have some success and you know be part of a program that was pretty good and and start to win and and that really became a lot more fun i mean it was fun before but winning is is certainly more fun than, than not um had some great people that you know were were uh, part of the the coaching staff there that, that helped me along and and so that's kind of how it was as an athlete, you know, um, and, and had some moderate success. So Allegheny, the great home of El Grande, Jeremy Scott, right? Jeremy and Scott. Yeah, he started just he he was a freshman the year after I graduated. Oh, um, wow. So I just missed him. Mm -hmm. But I remember still being close by and being able to go watch some meets and things like that as I was just out of college because he was just a phenomenal like specimen to watch jump you know what do you end up jumping d3 record like 18.8 or something like that you know at six foot nine it was crazy yeah it was interesting he was still competing at allegheny before he transferred uh, for masters i think it was to arkansas when i was uh -huh. coaching at ball state so we'd see okay. him at kent state and akron and right. stuff like that and you know he was always you, you you hit it around the head right he was the phenom like everybody mm -hmm. went to go watch him not because not only because he was jumping you know close to 19 feet which you just didn't see in a regular normal meet uh but also you know he was six foot nine so there was a little yeah. bit of the uh, carnival aspect mm -hmm, with him. but mm -hmm. also on top of that it was everybody knew it was special it's like oh this is a d3 kid this right. is a kid who was necessarily a stud out of high school and went to the quote-unquote big name schools and had everything uh resource available for him like you just kind of in in instinctively knew oh, okay this guy must be a scrapper like he, mm -hmm. he's getting it done with all the barriers in his way. So, sure. um, and having gotten to know Jeremy, um, you know, post-collegially, you know, he was a vaulter for us on uh, our pacer polls. Uh, what a great guy and super smart, by the way, like, Oh yeah. Super smart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, for sure. I love to know the nicknames of every school. Allegheny. Are they the alligators? Allegheny alligators? The Gators. The yeah. We're the Gators. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. The Which Gators. is an interesting, uh, uh, name for a, a school in Northwest Pennsylvania. There aren't a whole lot of them around. There, it, it's but, all yeah. alliteration has nothing to do with geography yeah. on that one. So when exactly. you chose Allegheny and interesting mm -hmm. that you chose track over football, you kind of had that mm -hmm. realization like, Oh, maybe even on the quote unquote D three level, I, you know, I'm not going to be able to do or want to do the things I'm going to have to be, right. to be, be successful. What were you studying and what was your, at that time frame? what was your mindset for a career? You know, when I first got started, I think that I was probably wanting to go into some sort of like PT, like physical therapy or training, athletic training, something along those lines. Um, so I started off as a biology major and, you know, it turns out, Mike, I wasn't that smart, especially at a school that there were some really, really uh, high achieving people and I couldn't get through organic chemistry. So um, that was a requirement for the biology degree. And after my junior year and adding and dropping organic chemistry probably two or three times, I went to my advisor and, and looked up and realized that, you know, you could get a degree now in environmental science, which is essentially a biology degree minus that organic chemistry. So I said, all right, that, that works for me. 
So I ended up with a degree in environmental science, which it turns out I think was a better fit in the first place. Mm. Um, you know, I enjoyed the ecology and I like to be outside and, and understand what's going on and that sort of thing. So, so I got the degree in environmental science. Um, and then initially with that, uh, plans kind of changed and I ended up getting a job just uh, in a community just north of Pittsburgh, uh, a city called Cranberry Township and working in local government as a, a, like in land use planning. Uh, so kind of suburban development and regulation and whatnot. I was, you know, I would review site plans and, you know, uh, meet with uh, developers and builders and inspect, you know, new residential and commercial construction. Um, and it was fun. It was really, really cool. Um, so yeah. coaching wasn't like, it doesn't even sound like it was like, if you had to pick 10 careers, it might not even have been top 10 at that point. I don't know that that was something that really crossed my mind. I think interesting. It, initially, I, I know there was a brief span there where I thought about getting into teaching. So my most of my family are my mom, dad, aunts, uncles. Uh, we've got a lot of teachers, a lot of coaches that I, that I come from at the high school level. And um, I saw that as something that I might transition into but i'll tell you what it was was there was a again working for the township there was a community in the same building there was a parks and rec department i mean i, I joked that it was if you if you've watched parks and rec um what's his name brandanowitz mark brandanowitz uh in the first season he was that was kind of my job and i worked in that building with all those same people um i think that was a character's name but it's a great show by the way yeah yeah, yeah it was <laughs> it, it kind of shed some light on things but um through the parks and rec department, there was a woman that was running uh, a track club. And at the time it was this Hershey track and field program, which you may be familiar with. Right. And it was like, I mean, they were still doing the broad jump and the softball throw and things like that, but That's they had right. all the events and <laughs> it was youth club. So I just, and obviously with the background and my enjoyment of, of track, I kind of hooked up with her and um, helped her out for, you know, a spring and a summer. And we went to some meets and then she ended up not continuing with that. And so I took over this youth track club and made it a USATF track club as opposed wow. to just doing these Hershey meets. Yeah. So like I would go to work um, and then two or three nights a week, we'd go up to this high school track and, and, you know, again, I'm 23 years old or so and really had no idea what I was doing. I'm, you know, I'm trying to get kids to meets and put, you know, relays and entries and fundraise and all these kind of crazy things, having absolutely no idea what I'm doing. Um, but it was a ton of fun and I, you know, I loved it. And I just started thinking to myself, you know, I'm having a heck of a lot more fun doing this for free at night than I am doing my job during the day, which was not to take anything away from the job, but um, how do I, and that's where it came from. How do I do this as a career and not as just something that I do for fun in the evenings? Hmm. Um, so I remember talking to my former college coach, uh, Bill Ross up at Allegheny, who's now the director of athletics there. Um, oh, wow. and yeah, he's gone from being the track coach to the, to the AD and who I still get to run into from time to time. Awesome. Awesome guy. Um, and the original plan was to go up there is like, I don't know if it was really a graduate assistant. It was more like an intern position and I was going to go back up, but he had had somebody there at the time who was contemplating whether or not she was going to do another year in that position. And if she didn't, then I would go up there. But if she did, then I would have to find something else. So she did stay. She, I'm saying she did stick around for another year. I did not get that position because of that. Hmm. And so I was bummed. I was kind of put out, but it was probably the best thing that could have happened. I, um, you know, now I start looking around. I understand there's these things called graduate positions, graduate assistants and whatnot. Um, applied to a bunch 
And really, I sent a resume and a letter and bugged a guy at this place called the University of Redlands in Southern California, which I had never heard of. I'd never been west of the Mississippi River. Um, I had no idea. And for some reason, I still don't know this day why he did. For some reason, he called me up and asked me a couple of questions and said, yeah, why don't you come on out and, and take this graduate assistantship position? And I said, sure. And next thing I know, I've got a U-Haul on the back of my truck and I am driving cross country, sight unseen. I had never no idea about it. this is back in the trip triple a trip tick days i mean this is if you're so you would go to triple a and you would tell them where you were going and they would go and pull these little cards off the wall that had maps on them and they would put you together a highlighted with a highlighter map wow. that you would use to drive long distances there was no map quest. this is before map quest oh, i mean i couldn't okay. even print directions out you know and so this was in 2001 or 2002 and um yeah, drove out there and became the graduate assistant for the University of Redlands track and field program. Yeah, I'm That's not sure how started. how we used to get from point A to point B. You know, we you, we had the it's crazy, atlases. right? Yeah, you know, we remember those big. Oh yeah, used a map, had an atlas, atlas, you know, the roadmap for sure. And, yeah, and MapQuest revolutionized the world. I remember totally. driving from Alabama to Kansas for an interview for the junior college job I ended up going, mm -hmm. getting right around that time, 2000, so kind of the same area. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember I must've been using, yeah, I don't think we had MapQuest there. I don't think I had MapQuest either. So I was using the Atlas and I took, like, I look back at it now. I'm like, oh, I, I doubled my distance. I went through Arkansas or whatever, instead of going up this way. And sure. it's like, how did I get anywhere it's crazy. in this world? And then I remember when finally when MapQuest would happen, you know, you'd print, you know, I, I'd go up to New Jersey, like when I was at Mississippi State, go up to New Jersey and recruit New York and New Jersey. And so I would mm -hmm. have a stack of yeah. all my different stops and mm -hmm. how unsafe, you know, they talk about, GPSs and phones being distracting. I used to have this stack of papers that I'd be driving, you know, trying to find where, where am I at? What page, what yeah. trip am I am? That, oh, that yeah. was dangerous. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, and you couldn't call anybody if you got in trouble because there was no right. phone in your car. And, yeah. you know, like, and you wonder how did you, how did you arrange all of these appointments and things? And somehow the world worked without being able to do all that, you know, we were able to figure it out. So I, I have no clue how. problem solving skills. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I was talking to one of our customer service teammates who has been here for a super long time, like 30 years. And I asked her, I was like, so, you know, I know how in, you know, a customer uh, gives us an order, we input it, I know how it gets out the door. How did you do that before mm -hmm. email and mm -hmm. all this other stuff? And they're like, yeah, they yeah. used to, they used to mail us a purchase order. Yeah. We would then hand type it. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> like how did how'd the world function? How did yeah. you spin this world? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We figured uh, it out. Amazing. So do you think you mentioned, you know, kind of sight unseen and how in the world mm -hmm. did, uh, what, what was the coach's name at Redlands? Do you remember? Barry well, that's an issue, but Barry Tyler was the guy's name that hired. His name is Barry Tyler. Do, do you think Barry's maybe interest in you, even though you, you were all the way across the country, but, but you came from a D3 background and so maybe Barry was looking for that kind of complimentary fix or, you know, I, I, I don't know. And I'll tell you why I Barry hired me. And at the time he was the head track and field coach and an assistant football coach is mm -hmm. what they kind of did in those division three roles long time ago. And, um, there was a part-time head cross country coach there. And then I was a graduate assistant. So I was the third in the staff for cross country and track and field. I got out there, I don't know, it was maybe September or late August, um, and Barry only lasted another week or two, and then he resigned for, re again, this was almost 20 years ago, so I only say that in that I don't, I just don't know, you right. know what I mean? Like, I, I had maybe, 
you know, a few conversations with the guy when it was all said and done. I'm kind of surprised I remember his name, but he was a pivotal piece of my career. Um, But he only lasted for another week or two. I think he went to be a principal or something like that. I don't know. Um, How how did that make you feel? You move all the way across country for Barry. Barry's the one who interviewed you, hired you. And then a week or two later, he's gone. I mean, fear, anxiety. (laughs) Listen, being naive is a great thing sometimes, Mike. So like if if, at at 26 or so and not having ever been in the coaching world before, I had no idea that there was any type of like, uh, you know, when your head coach leaves that you may not still have a position. I didn't even know that was a thing. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so it never crossed my mind. I knew I was working I'd never run cross country or coached cross country, but I was an assistant for the a woman who who had obviously. Um, so I was just loving it, man. I mean, there was it never it never it was just an absolute blast. You know, I went from making a normal salary to getting tuition remission of four hundred bucks a month in Southern California and living with like four people and you know <laughs> all that. And Mike, it was incredible. And I remember specifically, I I, I can picture this to this day. The first tr- uh, cross country meet that we went to that September was in at uh, University of San Diego. And I was standing on the, I don't know if it's a football field or a soccer field, but there's that stadium where the track is, if you've been to UC San Diego, and where the finish line was for that cross country meet. And the music was playing, and I was standing there, and people were screaming, and it was, you know, it was a high in- intensity. And, and I remember thinking to myself, like, this is what I do now. Like, this is, I I mean, I was having an absolute blast. It was so much fun. And the realization that I'd made this decision, I'm living in Southern California, I'm coaching at the collegiate level. And I, I get chills thinking about it now. Like it was like, I was so just excited to be there and didn't see anything else. It was just pumped to be there and whatever I could do to be a part of this and can make this continue is what I was going to do. And it's such a crystal clear memory in my mind of like, that's kind of when it happened. And that's when I was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. Like, this is, this is it. And I never thought about anything else since. You know, Um, we're always striving for that aha moment of like, mm -hmm. not necessarily that you've made it, but like, Oh, this crystallizes my decision. Like this, I, I did the right thing here. And sometimes yep. we go through careers and never find right. that, unfortunately, right? Uh, but it's, you know, if you're watching us on YouTube, you can see this clearly in Mike's face. Uh, and I know I can hear it in his voice. And that was 20 years ago. I, I can't yeah. remember 20 hours ago. And sometimes uh, this, like you just relive that moment in your head, like you could feel mm-hmm. and hear and smell Mm-hmm. everything mm-hmm. that happened on that specific day at, that, at a cross country meet. Yeah. At, a, at something that I had never even really been involved right. with um, before. And let me be clear, you hit the nail on the head. I did. There was no feeling of having made it. There was feeling of this is just where I'm supposed to be. And, mm-hmm. and this is what I should be doing. And, um, you know, and, and so all of those other concerns, uh, you know, financial concerns or, uh, security concerns like that wasn't even on my radar. Right. It was like, <laughs> this is just it. And, yeah. and I didn't need much, you know, it, you know, every coach has those stories of how, and, and I don't know if anybody looks back on those first couple of years with like, man, that really sucked. You know what I mean? Like you would say how you lived and that somebody would be like, why in the world do you want to do that? And be like, man, that was one of the most fun experiences mm. I've ever had. 
And, you know, I don't know if I want to do it again. And I think everybody says that, but man, was that just, oh boy, so much fun. Bunch of young coaches, a whole staff uh, across the department of like really passionate, young, fun people that were just doing whatever they could do to, you know, get through the, you know, pay rent and, and, and eat dinner, you know what I mean? And, <laughs> and it was, but I, and I still keep in touch with so many of those, you know, awesome. soccer coaches, football coaches, and, 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 you know, we were all in that same boat and it was just, uh, boy, was that a fun time. That's so awesome. Yeah, that's cool. So you're getting your master's. What would you got an environmental studies, uh, undergrad. What were you yeah. working towards? Uh, the master's? master's degree was, uh, like higher education administration, something mm-hmm. along those lines. And, um, you know, it was a, it was really convenient because that master's program was designed for working professionals, like people that were basically just trying to get a bump up in grade for like teaching or administration mm-hmm. and whatnot. So, um, you know, we'd go to class twice a week at night, but it was, we were living just working like crazy and coaching. And, and most of the professors understood that, that we were there, like this was just part of what we were getting paid to do. And we're kind of cool with that. So it was, it was a really good situation. That's awesome. So, uh, did you, did you end up getting your master's end up graduating? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what happens yeah. after your graduate? Well, you know, it's, uh, a couple things. So first that, that December that I got there. So like I mentioned, I moved to, to California in September, um, coach head coach quit shortly thereafter. So it's myself and this part-time, uh, cross country coach come December. Well, let me, let me tell you this. Let me back up. When in the, in the University of Redlands office, the track and field office, there was one office for three people. There were three desks. There were two desks for one was for the, you know, basically the two assistants. And then there was the head coach desk, which was a little bigger than the two assistant desks. And when the head coach resigned, I remember going talking to the other coach that was there and asking her, I said, Hey, do you mind if I just put my stuff at the big desk over there? You know, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and take that desk a little more comfortable. I'm taller guy, whatever. She's like, yeah, that's cool. And so now I'm sitting at the big desk. I'm sitting at the head coach desk. <clears throat> now, I don't know if this had anything to do with it. I'm still not sure what the reason behind this decision was. But come now, because we're getting into track season now, we got a really official track coach. So December that year, keep in mind, I've been coaching three months, maybe. <laughs> um, the athletic director comes in unannounced, sits down in that office uh, across the desk from me, the big desk. And asks if I would be the interim head track and field coach for that spring, right? I mean, out of the blue. And I was like, yeah, yeah, totally. Like, I mean, again, too dumb to know. Right. I wasn't anywhere in a position to take that role or had any idea what I was. Thanks for saving me there. I wanted to say that, but I'm so glad you said that. (laughs) Listen, being naive and being dumb and young is is a real advantage sometimes. You know what I mean? Because you just, you don't, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. And and so I did. I said, absolutely. You know what I mean? That's this is what I'm trying to do. And and um, so I think that came with like a little stipend more than what I was getting as a graduate assistant or something like that, which was cool. And Mike, I'm telling you, I don't remember how that transitioned. But before I knew it, I was just a full time head track and field and cross country coach there relatively shortly. And and I don't remember there ever being an interview or maybe it's 20 years ago now. So it's probably I don't know if they were playing by the rules or not, but I just remember it just sort of transitioned. And next thing you know, I was a full-time employee and I was getting paid as a coach and and I was running the show. And um, so anyway, that to say, you know, along with that, I finished a master's degree. My master's thesis was a, uh, the basically writing a proposal for a new track and field facility at um, the University of Redlands, which we did. We had a dirt 
track out there, which it's kind of like a cinder track in the Midwest. You know, it was a dirt track that we needed to upgrade. And from two years, Mike, start to finish, we went from idea to running on that track, wow. raising money, building the track, getting construction, the whole thing. Wow. And I, so my project for that master's degree was, was basically that. Um, so it was really, it was funny how things work out. You know, I think it's interesting. You said you don't remember there being an official interview and things like mm -hmm. that. I think that kind of goes back to something you and I were talking about before we hit the record button about that. Someone's always watching. I think mm -hmm. you probably were interviewing for that job every day. You know, the AD, uh, they would see you and how you would act and not act and decisions you would make or not mm -hmm. make. And I, I bet you were interviewing every day for that job, which is a great lesson for all of us that someone's always watching absolutely and negatively and that you are always interviewing for something it may not be for the next job it may be for mm -hmm. your uh, a spouse it may be for uh uh you know this or that etc but someone's always watching someone's always interviewing that's a really good lesson there yeah for sure and that's something i absolutely learned from my, my father growing up you know as he was a coach and a teacher and, and he was always very aware and that's what we tell athletes all the time that you know by nature of being an athlete or by nature of being a person like you are more paid attention to mm. than a regular student or a regular person. I mean, I know for a fact that the local newspapers at these colleges go through, you know, the, uh, the, the police reports in the newspaper looking for names and mm -hmm. cross-referencing them with rosters, you mm -hmm. know, and it's like, they're not doing that for the kids sitting in chemistry class, man, mm -hmm. you know? So, you know, you just, you, you need to be aware of that, you know, and, and you need to know that somebody's watching, like you said, for, for better or for worse. Um, now I appreciate you saying that Mike, that, they saw something. Let me provide some context here. I think at first I thought that they saw something, but looking back on it, you understand I went to this program sight unseen, didn't know anything about it. That first year, the program that I took over, now this is a division three conference. Okay. We, there were maybe eight or 10 teams in the Skyac at the time. Um, if I remember correctly on the men's side and the women's side of that conference championship meet outdoors this year, that year, one team scored maybe five points total. And once team got shut out, we scored zero points. So I'm not so sure that they saw something in me or they saw a warm body that was sitting <laughs> in the chair already and was like, listen, we'll give this kid a shot. I mean, who cares, right? Like this is, we're, we're in no position to, to be successful. Um, fortunately, it changed relatively quickly, but um, yeah, it was not a, 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 a prominent program at the time. Okay, so now we're going to go back. Maybe the AD just was uh, either lazy or had other things to do and was like, look, man, I don't want to spend time yeah, exactly. hiring another coach. Yeah, this yeah. guy left me after a week. Let's just give it to this right. one and see just how long he lasts. This saves me an interview process. I don't have to take resumes. and um, But uh, it, it worked out, though, for everybody, I think, in the end. So. Well, you said it got better, which makes me think of the you know fake it till you make it type of principle. And, and there's an yep. excellent, I don't know if you've seen that. Are you a TED Talks guy at I've all? seen a few. Yeah, yeah. There's a really good one. I'm going to butcher the story. You need to go uh, find it, go Google it. It's actually right. one of the top 10 most viewed TED Talks. In fact, it might be one of the top five, um, but it's this young lady. She talks about not faking it till you make it, fake it till you make it, fake it till you become it. And her story, it, it's quite amazing. She was a um, highly accomplished uh, athlete, maybe a violinist. Again, I'm probably thinking 10 stories into one, but she mm -hmm. got into a car accident uh, in high school. Uh, that gave her some brain damage. And they said she would never do X and Y and Z. Well, fast forward, and she's graduated from Harvard, I believe it was. She's an accomplished wow. um, author, et cetera. She, I mean, just an amazing 
store. I think she ended up going into psychology, if I remember correctly. Uh, but she has an awesome, she actually has two or three awesome TED talks about oh, faking yeah. it till you become it, you know, what that mindset means. And then also the power of um, positive imaging. Like they've done studies that this is going to get off the topic here a little bit, oh. but, but this is value, I think, um, yeah. about they've done uh, studies of people who would uh, before they would go in for a job interview or go in before something that, you know, was stressful, or maybe they were feeling a little uh, inadequate for that people who stood in the mirror in a super um, hero <laughs> pose. I know it sounds funny, right? Uh, yeah. Superhero pose. So I'm, you know, I've got my hands on my hip, you know, that, that, uh, that uh, yeah. superwoman, wonder woman type of pose, right. Uh, that people who did that and saw themselves as like, okay, I am, strong enough, good enough, smart enough that they prospered more than people who just went in kind of cold Turkey, like that simple trick of seeing yourself as Mm -hmm. the worth that you really are will actually help you become that. But, uh, so there's my, there's my plug of the day. Go Google top 10 TED talks. I guarantee you she's one of the top 10 most viewed and it's, it's fake it. till you become it. That's the, her, uh, the title of it. It is, it is awesome. And she is awesome. So, uh, so tell me, how did you, fake it till you became it. You said things got better. You scored zero points. Yeah. 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 It was. And, you know, I think, boy, you hear coaches or just people talk about, like, I had this plan and I executed the plan and it went exactly the plan and we got what we needed, you know, we got done what needed to get done. And I'm going to tell you for those first couple of years, I still can't tell you why I did a lot of the stuff that I did. You know, it was very instinctual. It was very, um, I, I didn't really have, initially, like my plan going into this whole world was spend a year or two as a graduate assistant here, spend a year or two as a graduate assistant there, kind of bounce around for a minute and um, learn from a couple of different people, right? Well, I got thrown into this position. I I had no immediate mentor to really learn from. So there wasn't a whole lot of like uh, seeing how somebody else did it. So I kind of had to just go with what I thought was best and and sort of figure it out in the way. Now that said, um, one of the advantages to not having a specific, you know, track and field mentor there when I got there was I had the opportunity to maybe seek some out. Hmm. So rather than just sort of take what I got, I was able to look around at some of the, really some of the best people on the planet and, and reach out and connect with them in whatever various ways and really ended up with some really incredible mentors then. Um, and that was more from the technical side of things, you know? So it was like the day-to-day stuff, the administrative stuff and whatnot was just sort of figuring it out. The culture building stuff was just kind of figuring it out. And, you know, I was there for five years. Um, and the last year I was there, the women, the women got to the top half of the conference. I can't remember where they finished in the conference. They were probably third or fourth. And the men almost won it. And I say almost, there was a, there's another school out there, Claremont Mud Strips, um, another D3 school, a guy named John Goldhammer, who was just a phenomenal, per, you know, longtime coach. They had won that conference championship on the men's side, something like 15 or 16 years in a row. Wow. And we came to a pulled hamstring away from beating them that last year, you know, and that was coming from, from nothing, you know, like wow. we, we were, it was a kid to pull up in practice and I don't want to could have, would have, should have, we lost by, I don't know, five or six points, um, on, on that last meet, but Zero points in the conference meet to five years later finishing, I think, seventh or eighth in the country. Yeah, um, so wow. we had some, yeah, we had some some really phenomenal standout athletes that we shouldn't have ever had at the Division three level, um, you know, but they were just amazing and, and went on to win national titles and stuff. So you mentioned you reached out to some people that became mentors. Who were some yeah. of those people that were instrumental to you? Sure. 
one thing that I, I'll say about those initial years was I was shameless in reaching out to people and, you know, either asking questions or maybe more importantly, asking what I could do for them. And that's really what ended up getting my foot in the door with a lot of people. But probably the best thing that I did was, you know, I had done the level one USA level one school before I went out there. So I had that under my belt. And then I learned about these level two things. So I went to Colorado Springs and these two guys teaching the class were Rock Light and Boo Shexnader, who I didn't know from anybody at the time, you know, and Mike, when I was there, it was, I knew I would go to these clinics to learn and hear people speak. And, you know, I come from this division three world. I didn't have access to world-class, you know, coaches or world-class information and whatnot. And so I'd go to these clinics and I'd be listening to these guys and just thinking to myself, you know, there's something more here. There's more to, it's more complex. There's more um, information. There's something that these high level people know that, that I don't know, and I don't have access to, there wasn't really no internet to, to go and research these things. Right. And I remember going to these, this, this level two and listening to boo and rock speak. And it was like the light. I was like, this, this Mm -hmm. is the stuff. Like we're getting down to fundamentals of movement and physiology and biomechanics, like the building blocks of all these things. And it was such a light bulb moment. And I'm so appreciative for that. And the best thing that they did beyond just that three or four days of the class was they both said at the end, there's a class of 50, 60 people. If you're ever, if you ever want to come and, and, and hang out, basically, um, you're more than welcome to. So I don't know if they meant that or not. It turns out that they did, but like, again, me being kind of young and dumb, I was like, well, then when can I come? You know what I mean? Like I, I talked to both of them. I said, when can I come by? And I was lucky to talk Redlands into considering that professional development, right? And not really have had. So I got Redlands wow. to pay for me to fly to Baton Rouge, where where Boo was at the time. They, I was up in Oregon, um, where Rock was at the time, wow. and spent three or four days just hanging out on the track. And and Rock Light, my goodness, you know, I I asked he he agreed that I could come up there, and 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 he, not only did he let me come to the track, he's like, Mike, I want you to stay at my house with my family. And so all of a sudden I'm staying at rock's house, you know what I mean? Hanging out, talking about track at night over wow. dinner and a beer or two and going, standing in Hayward field. I'd never been to Hayward field, standing on Hayward field and watching these. It was, I mean, and, and so, so, so appreciative without those opportunities, I don't get to do anything and, and I don't get to help these kids get better without that knowledge and without that access, you know, and I know, and I come to find out that they do that all the time. And lots of people do, they're so generous with their time, but that was really the turning point from just being a guy in this and, and, and really kind of gave me insight into this next level that was out there. And man, that's, that's, I, that's what I want to do. You know what I mean? Like I, I want to be standing on these tracks myself and, and, and coaching people here, you know, the, the level that they're coaching. So, so without them, that, that never happens. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of, that was really what allowed us to sort of make that transition. You know, there's a fine line between confidence and naivety, <laughs> right? Uh, so yeah, I, yeah. I, I love the, um, gumption, if you will, of, Oh, uh, you said it's okay for me to call you or come visit. Uh, okay. When? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> not, not re-asking, Hey, can I, it was like, okay, w- when, when can I make this happen? Right. Um, sure. you know, it's, it's interesting. Those people that you mentioned, you know, boo and rock. And I have a similar story to your rock light story with Marshall Goss at, yeah. at Indiana. Very, I mean, mm-hmm. very similar. Next thing I know I'm staying in the night at his house. I mean, just givers, uh, I mean, yes. selfless people 
in this profession. I'm always interested in, so guys like you, and, and there's other stories like that of people who who took that step, who took that risk, if you will, that risk of rejection of reaching out to someone saying, Hey, can, can you help me? I'm dealing with X, Y, or Z or whatever, but there is many more, if not the same amount, if not more people who don't, they, Mm -hmm. uh, for whatever reason, confidence, uh, the, the, the little voice in our head that talks down to ourselves, they don't reach out. I'm not good enough to talk to a boo. Why would Rocky light help Mm -hmm. me? Why would Marshall do this for me? And they don't take that risk. What do you think it was, whether it was maybe how you were raised by family and friends and neighborhood, whether it was um, education, Allegheny, what was it that you can think of for you that it was, seemed very natural to just, oh, okay, you, you offer that, then I'm going to, I'm going to take you up Mm -hmm. on that offer. What, what, where'd that come from? Yeah. You know, I think there's a, you said there's a fine line between, you know, confidence and being naive. I think there's also a fine line between uh, being forward and being annoying or being a pain, you know? And I think it's a combination of just knowing when to put that foot forward and when to get the hell out of the way, Mm -hmm. you know, Um, you know, like to be there on the track and not, you know, like I, I, it's, it's a delicate balance between pushing to get there, but also not getting in the way when you're there, you know? And I think for whatever reason, be it how I was raised or, or just my own experiences, I've, I've been able to balance that pretty well, um, to sort of sit back and just be a fly on the wall when it's appropriate and ask questions when it's appropriate. So I've, I don't know that's, uh, and you know it when you see it one way or the other, you know what I mean? Like some people are like, well, this guy just quit bothering me, you know, but, um, but I think I was able to navigate that pretty well. And, you know, to this day to be able to see, I just saw rock, uh, not last summer, but summer before out at Altus, you know, it just sidebar here, here we are 20 years later, I'm going out to Altus to do the similar thing to learn. And I sit down in class, I look to my right, there's rock. And I was like, what, what the heck are you doing here, man? Like you're, you're teaching this stuff. And, you know, he just loves that learning, but, but um, yeah. So just, you know, kind of finding that balance between putting your neck out there and, and not being a, getting in the way, I think is important. Um, you know, and I, I could tell you another, that, that happened in other ways too. You know, I, I would in Southern California was really cool. It was a great place to get started because there were, there was access to some really high level people. So for example, like I would see these camps that would happen. Um, and I, you know, would reach out to these camp directors and basically just say, Hey, listen, I am a coach here at, at Redlands. I'm nearby. I'd love to come do whatever you need me to do for nothing. I just want to, I just want to be there. You know, um, one in particular, I saw there was a camp that Mike Powell, you know, more record holder, long jump was going to be the camp guy at, at this, at this little private school down the road. And I reached out immediately to that camp director. And I said, listen, um, you know, if you need somebody to carry cones or, sweep the floors or do whatever. I said, I'll come out and do it for you for nothing. I just want to be able to stand next to Mike Powell for a couple minutes a day. It would be great. And, you know, from that, it's like, yeah, come on out. You can stay here for the week. We're going to pay you a couple hundred bucks. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm a, an assistant to, to Mike Powell in for like four days in the long jump, just sucking all that in, you know? So, I mean, and that just came from, asking the question, you know, he could have said no. And I said, okay, thanks anyway. But, you know, and, and, and then when you get there, like you've said so many times, providing some sort of value, providing some sort of service, right. Um, 
runners workshop camps, cross country camp out there in California. Same thing. Like, listen, I live right down the hill. Can I come out and just met some incredible people there that I learned so, so much from and then ended up becoming something. You know what I mean? Like it, it turns into something. If you, if you go into a situation expecting nothing, only wanting to offer something, um, it's kind of shocking how short that you get nothing and you're only giving lasts. You know what I mean? Like if you go in and just say, listen, I'm willing to do whatever I expect nothing in return. It doesn't last that long. And I don't think too many people are willing to do that, you know, yeah. and, and it works out really well. I, I think uh, I, it's always amazing where these conversations go. You know, I've done, mm -hmm. we're getting close to a, uh, over a hundred of these type of interviews with amazing coaches from around the world. So I'm always interesting in how, where the conversation goes. That's why I don't, you know, maybe listener, you don't realize none of these are scripted. Mm -hmm. no, none of our guests on this show gets a pre-qualifying question list, etc. <laughs> it sure. is, uh, the, and I'm so uh, grateful for them that they trust me that, okay, I'll, I'll, we'll be able to carry the conversation forward. But what you just mentioned there about giving value with no expectation of return, mm -hmm. you can only, I'm going to say this in a definitive statement, and I don't like making definitive statements, but you can only do that if you are a long-term thinker and believer. If you are, hey, uh, my career, when I look back on it one day, 40, 50, 60 years from now, will be awesome. Tomorrow might not. I might uh, not be able to afford lunch tomorrow because I yeah. don't have a paying gig or uh, whatnot. So that those examples you gave there of, hey, I just want to be by Mike Powell to learn. So if you need a cone carrier, a sweeper, I don't. Uh, my ego is not here. Like, Hey, I also want to be an assistant coach for Mike Powell's case. It was, Hey, I just want to be to learn from him or uh, cross country camps. Can I just be there? What, what do you need? You need me to measure the court? What, yep. what can I do to help you with zero expectation of return? And that's, that's a real powerful and hard thing to do. When you give with no expectation of return, you keep the power. When you mm. give with an expectation of return, well, you've given the power to the person you've given to. Now it's like, oh, well, I expect him to give me something back. Why haven't they mm -hmm. given me something yet? Why haven't they right. given me an interview or a referral or pay or what? It's like, you see how you've lost? Because now it's like, why haven't they done something back yet? When in return, if you just keep it to the value giver, to you just give, 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 mm -hmm. it is going to work out. And you mentioned that it's, it, uh, you, you uh, kind of express it, that it's not long before good things start mm -hmm. happening. You know what? That's not always the case though. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's true. It, it true. can be 10, 20, 30, 40 years yeah. down the line. However, if you are a long-term thinker, that means nothing to you. I mean, right. we're at age. I've said this a million times on the podcast, I know, but I will continue to beat this a live horse, <laughs> you know, at the age you're at, Mike, mm -hmm. you know, you could be thinking like, Oh, I'm about halfway through my career. It's such a, uh, dude, you have more years to coach mm -hmm. than you have coached so far. I mean, when you start thinking about your career like that, you start, you are starting to understand, like, I'm not near the finish line. Heck, no. I might not even be in the blocks yet. <laughs> I'm mm -hmm. still, I might not even be called up to the starting line yet. I have so much more runway here, if you will, to do all the things that I might want to do or things that I've seen other people do that I also would like to accomplish. So I love that, that understanding of like, oh, give mm -hmm. and possibly something will come back, but I have no expectations that something will come back. Now, now I'll throw the caveat out there and I'll, I will admit to this. That's easier to do earlier in your career than it is later in your career. Mm. And, and at least for me, right. Um, it's, I, I struggle a little more now with real, and I, I think we still do it. I, I, I still strive to do that, 
Um, but it's a little more difficult when you have accomplished some things, right? And when you have gotten a little further in your career, and I always want to give and I always want to provide value, but um, you know, it's, it's a little less uh, automatic or it's a little less just intuitive sometimes, you know, because it's, um, you know, it's just you're, you're in a different spot with what you can actually offer, you know? Um, that's not to say that I don't continue to do that or look for those kinds of opportunities and whatnot, but I will say that when you're again, kind of young and naive and just willing to do anything for anything, it's just a little different, um, a little different feel or a little different, uh, uh, mindset when you go into that. I love that you have the counter argument to me because I, I would disagree with that. And, and that's, you know, that's what I want actually, you know, sure. for actual dialogue because think about the people that you have mentioned so far, the Rocky lights and the Bush X Nader. And I mentioned Marshall Goss and I would throw a Mike Holloway and we could go for the next hour naming names, right. Of high level uh, people who are far in their career and Bush X Nader today. And that's my probably best example. Uh, still today when he does camps and clinics, will say, Hey, here's my email address. Right. Email me if you need anything. Now that guy has he doesn't need anything, right? <laughs> right? No, right. no one can give him anything that he hasn't already accomplished or uh, succeeded in his life. And yet he still, the, the middle school coach that will email him, uh, the, uh, all the way up to whatever you want to, the other uh, form, our new professional track coach emails him, he will answer that. Person you know, and that maybe person. let me, let me shift that or just clarify that a little bit. It's, it's easier now that I'm in a different position where Thing, one of the things that rang uh, true from everybody that gave me a hand or helped me out was, you know, when I would offer, say, hey, what can I do for you? What, you know, how, how can I repay you for this? And to a one, to their credit, to a one, it was do this for somebody else mm -hmm. when you have the opportunity, which like, that kind of gives me chills too. You know what I mean? That, that was always what it was. So it maybe maybe the right way to describe this is it just shifts. It looks different. Mm, I love, yes. you know, I've had lots of, you know, um, younger coaches or, you know, athletes that want to move forward or, you know, I've had the opportunity to have that volunteer that I was, you know, for a period of time and help them. So it, it just, that perspective, maybe that's kind of yeah. that to clarify that right now, all of a yeah. sudden it's, I'm in the position to look out, to seek out, to help somebody else. Whereas I was seeking the help before, right. but it, it, and so it's, it's a spectrum and there's mm -hmm. always a bit of seeking help for myself and yeah. seeking to help other people. And that balance shifts through the career. So maybe that that's, that's more of what I meant by that. I think that hits it right on the head. You're exactly right. And you talked about that balance. You know, we tend to think of things as a balance, like a, a teeter totter, if you will, right. That I either mm -hmm. have to be all the way on one side or the teeter totter, teeter totter shifts. And I have to be all the way on the other side when in reality, life uh, gets really good if it's actually kind of right in the middle. You know, we talk about 50-50, sure. but maybe it's more 51-49. Like I, yeah. I talk a lot about the selflessness of coaches. I see it every day, every hour, every minute, coaches who give, 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 you know, they give their time and energy and money uh, to other people's kids, you know, on the collegiate mm -hmm. level, 18 to 22 year olds, they're taking phone calls at 9 p.m. Uh, to talk about what class to select for next semester, you know, sure. things that are not in the purview of a track, you know, how to perform better on the track, uh, it, to the detriment. So that, so I've seen that swing hundred percent, like, Oh, you are so selfless. You give everything to these other 18 to 22 year olds. Well, unfortunately, when you're doing that, that means that teeter totter is up on the other side it means you're mm -hmm. being extremely selfish to mm -hmm. your family, your friends. Uh, it's, you know, your spouse, et cetera, significant others, right. you're being selfish because you're, you're doing everything towards that career. So 
it actually needs to be when we start talking about um, coaches, social health and mental health and financial health and physical health, that it needs to be closer to that, that balance point where it's 51, 49, maybe you're 51% selfless towards your team, the 18 to 22 year olds, but you're giving almost as much half to your family and friends and your, your, your own uh, well-being, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Let's step off the the soapbox. So, uh, so what you, you turn around Redlands program, Mm -hmm. uh, sounds like if you were there for five years, probably maybe one of the more, at least in recent times, uh, consistent, (laughs) uh, coaches there, you know, I I don't know how, that's not fair. I don't know how long the former. No, well, the guy, that's a whole other, the Redlands thing is there's a great group of people out Mm -hmm. there that are really lifers and and that are really committed to it. And the guy that replaced me, Mike Schmidt has done a phenomenal job and Mm -hmm. he's been there since I left. So it's, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been pretty consistent now. So where did you go? So, so now, interestingly enough, now you're a track coach, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you were yeah. getting into it with the Hershey program and now you're going to go do yep. a GA program. But now like you've been a head coach of a division three program and had success, mm-hmm. et cetera. So uh, where do you go from Redlands? Well, you know, it's once so. And, and again, this isn't this is just what happened. But in my mind, I was like, well, I just had you know, division three now national champions in the decathlon and the triple jump and the long jump and the javelin. I mean, we were, we were cranking them out and they were doing performances that were, you know, certainly not top division one performances, but could be competitive. You know, we're talking, you know, 70 meter javelin throwers and, and 7,200 point decathletes and Mm -hmm. 50 plus foot triple jumpers, that sort of thing. So I'm like, they're going to be banging down my door at the division one level, right? Like, this is what I want to do. And, and who wouldn't, you know, I mean, I've come from division three, I'm working with, this is going to be a piece of cake. And obviously, you know, you, you learn real quick that that's 100% not the case. Um, you know, so, uh, long story short, you know, I, I took an opportunity to work for free as a volunteer. So I went from, a uh, you know, paid obviously full-time division three head coaching position to be a volunteer assistant at Marquette university, wow. um, which is how we got to Milwaukee and, mm-hmm. and, and met you. Um, and then as everybody's got this story, you know, I was substitute teaching, um, for the city of Milwaukee public school system, um, which is another podcast conversation altogether. That was, there's a lot of interesting things that came from that. Um, but you know, it turns out that that experience, you know, that, that was the thing you're missing. And, and, you know, as you're, when you go to apply for jobs or you're sending out your resumes and things like that, you know, um, there's a lot of times a checklist of kind of prerequisites and, and having had division one experience often is a prerequisite for getting a job in the division one world. Um, and having not been a division one athlete or a division one coach, um, and not had any of that. Sometimes you got to suck it up and figure out a way. It's like, I just got to check that one last box hmm. to even get the callback for this. You know what I mean? You may have some qualifications, but if you don't have that one, then you're just not even in the mix. You know what I mean? Like you're never going to get that call. So you know, I went to Milwaukee for that year at Marquette. Um, and it was fun. It was, uh, that's where I met one of my best friends. Now, Tom Sage was a decathlete on that team at the time. And now we've become great friends. I was in his wedding. Um, you know, we, we keep in touch all the time. And, um, but that really was the stepping stone to allow me to get the job at the university of Illinois, which was, that was the, that was the game changer into this world. So before we get to Illinois, uh, yeah. So what was it? You, you talk about the checking off the boxes and you need D1 experience, uh, mm-hmm. at least in your experience, uh, yeah, your yeah. career. So what was the drive for a D3 kid, if you will? You, you competed at D3. What was the drive that you would 
you know, move away from a, a paying head coach and you're the man, you, you make all the mm -hmm. decisions for your program. Mm -hmm. You're getting a, a paycheck every two weeks to a volunteer position. Uh, it wasn't going back home. It's not like you're in West Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. you may be closer, but it's not home. Yeah. What was the drive to go D1? Well, I think it's a lot of things. I think that number one, just get to experience some of it with, um, you know, getting to see what, how that world works at, at those different places that I aforementioned mentors and whatnot. Um, having had, uh, I, I reference, a, you know, we had a, a good javelin thrower, for example, one year who was fortunate enough to qualify for the, you know, USA championships, uh, you know, as a D3 guy and, and was made a world uh, or made Pan Am junior team, you know, won the, won the junior meet. That's a whole other story. That's, wow. it's just insane. I don't know how much we had to do with that other than say, this is a javelin, put it in that direction. And, you know, we threw 70 meters, you know what I mean? And, um, but, but, but having some exposure to that world, I think was part of it and just mm -hmm. really being drawn to it. Uh, I think the other piece of it was, and maybe this is just something that is of me and just the desire to say, how successful can I be at this? You know what I mean? Like, and, 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 or, or at what level can I work to get to, you know, like, like, let's just see, let's just see what happens. Let's, can I, do I have what it takes to, to be at that level? Um, so I think there's just sort of a, an inside drive that, that that's, that's just something I wanted to see if I could do it. You know, I wanted to see, I, I, I didn't have the personal experience at that level. I didn't compete at that level. I didn't have exposure to those types of things. And, and so I wanted to, but I really liked what I saw and I wanted to give it a crack. And so that was, that was pretty much it. And then it was like, well, let's just figure out a way to backdoor my way in here that, that, you know, whatever I got to do. Well, certainly coaches are listening right now and they're like, okay, Mike, ask the question. I, you give me, give me the, I need the answer here. So Mike, how does a D3 athlete, D3 head coach, volunteer mm -hmm. at Marquette coach become a big 10 university of Illinois coach? How did that happen? So there was a job that opened up at Illinois that was, um, fit the description of what I wanted to do. It was a field events that we were separate, uh, men's and women's program at the time. So it was a women's assistant coach for all the field events. Um, and there was this woman named Tanja Buford Bailey, who was the head coach down there at the time, who again, being kind of naive, didn't know. Um, wait, wait, and on. did you, did you not know Tanja's pedigree, if you will? Uh, probably not until I applied for the job. You know, it was, you know, again, I'm, uh, there's a lot of naive here, you know? And so, um, that's actually a really funny story. If you know Tanja that, which you do, or if anybody knows Tanja. So, Anyway, I, it, the job was, was, you know, open, it was posted and, and I applied for it and, um, just like a normal person would and, and, um, had some, you know, booze and rocks and some other people's on, uh, that, that, that knew I was applying and that I, you know, had had for references and whatnot. And, um, I applied and she called. And so at the time I was, uh, in Milwaukee and had, uh, it was in June, I guess, because she was like, so you're going to be down. We're talking just as she is very casual. She said, you're going to be down at the national championship meet next week or whatever it was. And I said, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I'll be down there. I listen, you know, I had no business being down there. Right. So I said, yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm going to be there. And she goes, okay, well, great. Well, let's get together on this day at this time. And, you know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit. I said, perfect. I'll, I'll see you there. So I'm like, well, now I got to figure out. So I, As you, you start know, I booking your ticket and hotel yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? Well, you know, I, I find a motel <laughs> six on the outskirts of Des Moines. It was at Drake, you know, and, and luckily I could drive down there. So, 
but this is what's kind of funny if you know her, right? So like, we're supposed to meet at the track, I think at like, or no, 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 maybe at the, I can't remember where we're supposed to meet, but it was going to be like 10 in the morning. So I'm up trying to figure out how to dress. Cause it's like an interview, but it's a track meet and trying to, you know what I mean? I'm getting, right. I'm up early, get ready to go. And, you know, she calls me and it's like, ah, actually, you know, it's going to be whatever it was noon, a little later. And then it's a little later. It's a little later. It's a little later. So I don't know who I've never seen her. So now I'm at the track meet. I pay my way into the track meet because I'm just a fan at that point. And I'm doing this where I know she's at the track somewhere. So I'm trying to find out where she is so that I can sort of, quote unquote, accidentally bump into her. Right. Um, and be like, oh, oh, hey, wait, Tanja. Oh, hey, Tanja. So good to see you. know, I'm Mike and I'll, you know, look forward to seeing you. you know, so that was that was what I did. And um, I think we just is, got an insight into Mike Herb's recruiting uh, repertoire. Oh, there's, I'll tell you about that. Too. I've used this before. Right. So it's an accidental bump. Long story short, we end up finally sitting down at maybe 1130 or midnight in like the second floor lobby of the downtown Des Moines Marriott. And, you know, she just starts telling me what she's looking for. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. And she's like, well, when can you get started? And I'm like, how far champagne from Des Moines? You know what I mean? Like I could if I leave now, I can get I can get started at six o'clock tomorrow morning, you know, and um and so it worked out, you know what I mean? We, we clicked, we really did, you know, it was just a good fit. And I learned later on that that's really what she was looking for. She was looking for a fit. And, and to this day, I know that's something I've learned from her. She's less concerned with, you know, technical backgrounds and, and, and pedigrees and things like that. And more like, can we trust each other? Can we get along well together? Can we work well together? Which I love that because her pedigree is amazing, not only athletically, right. but coaching wise, mm -hmm. right? She was mm -hmm. a phenomenal, I mean, yeah. She, uh, you know, I'm always amazed when someone has their own Wikipedia page, she has her own Wikipedia sure. page that tells you what a big deal she was athletically. Right. And she was coached by one of the, you know, maybe top five smartest coaches in the world. Right. And Gary Winkler. History. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then she became this amazing, <laughs> I mean, she, she's a mm -hmm. phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal coach. Now, what I love about your story is it's a little different. In fact, it's the 180 of what we quote unquote hear all the time. So when you go on, uh, one of our, you know, great, um, websites in our sport is infamous let's run.com, right. And more mm -hmm. infamously the, the message board, uh, and for good or bad, you can love it, hate it. I don't care. Uh, but there, there's one thread that I read every year. It'll, it'll shock you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's the coaching job every yeah, year. Yeah. Exactly. It's the most famous yeah, one. Right. And every year, you know, I've followed this thread now for 10 plus years, 15, maybe 15 plus years. And every year everybody, it's the anonymous trolls and all that kind of stuff, but everybody will tell you, oh, don't apply for that job. When, when a job is uh, advertised, the head coach already knows who they want. You have to know someone, you have to know that person. If you are just applying, forget about it. You have zero shot. So I want to make sure we all heard that correctly, your experience with Illinois. And let's, let's be honest here. Now we're not talking about just any job. We're talking about a big 10 job. There ain't that many of them. We're talking about Illinois. That's a big program has done amazing things. So I'm going to say it back to you to make sure I heard it right. So that our listeners, everybody else can hear this, right? So you were a volunteer coach at Marquette. Mm -hmm. You did not know Tanja 
at all? Not personally. No, I did not even know who she was. Yeah. And you, you, it sounded like you barely knew that she was a medalist. And <laughs> yeah, I learned that kind of as I was going, you know, and I'm yeah. trying to remember when, but it was somewhere in the early process. Yeah. And you certainly had some high profile referrals. You mentioned Obu and Iraq. Mm-hmm. And, um, a couple of weeks ago, Karen, Dennis, and I from Ohio State were talking about resumes. And we're always amazed at the reference section of resumes because it's like, it's kind of a, a duh part of your resume, right? Like you, right. like it's your way to kind of put the homers up there, people who are, right. you know, going to talk great about you. So they're almost, I don't want to call them useless, but Right. <laughs> right. Uh, sure. but, but you have those names and they're great names and everything. But a lot, uh, let's be honest, uh, because of their connections and their giving attitude, I bet you Rocklight and Abu Shexner mm-hmm. has been on a lot of resumes. Absolutely. Right? Oh, for sure. And, yeah, and rightfully yeah. so. I'm not bringing it down. Yeah. I'm just saying rightfully so. No, no. I Listen, that's awesome. Yeah. You're, you were not a uh, stud athlete at the Division One level. In fact, you weren't a stud yeah. athlete at any Level. Hey, any level no no you uh like so we already mentioned volunteer coach you, you didn't uh uh volunteer at uh, a power five school you weren't a volunteer nope. at florida state florida etc <laughs> you are a oh boy this is going to sound crazy but you are the every man right if you uh what's the um the 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 play death of a salesman the name of the of the Willie loman yeah low man like that they, yeah. they named mm-hmm. him for that right low man yeah. like he was the low yep. man on the tonal pole you are yeah. This is going to sound terrible, Mike. And I know since we're no, friends, I no. can say this. Yeah. You're nothing special no. <laughs> at this point. No, right? I'm I mean, not. Please know how I'm saying this, right? No, no, Mike. I, okay. Listen, I, I agree with you 100%. I was and, not, I shouldn't have got that job. And you, no, 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 no. That, that's not the point. Take that back. The point is <laughs> you did get right. the job. And what, so what I love about that story and that, you know, bringing this to light and bring, helping people hear this story, it's a story of not only hope. Like, hey, you do not, if you are down on yourself as a coach right now because you were not a stud athlete, guess what? Erase that. Uh, if you are down on yourself because you don't have a big name school behind you, erase that. You can get whatever you consider higher profile jobs, but you can get other jobs in this profession without all of that. Yes, you can. The, the yeah. other aspect I love, so not only is it a story of hope, I tell you, it tells you a lot about Tanja that she didn't and she didn't and does not fall for the oh this guy coaches at marquette i can't even spell mark well and i would almost be for tanja i can't spell marquette i'm sure tanja can she has a big 10 <laughs> education i don't so i'm sure she can yeah, but you know yeah. I, I don't know you know marquette what do you mean wait, this guy okay well maybe he was a stud athlete oh wait a minute no he's d3 and he was nope. and yet mm-hmm. she took the time to interview you eventually <laughs> i love that story yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. chase if you chased will. her down yeah yeah, yeah yeah yes yes uh and was looking for a fit. I'm sure she did her due diligence and said, okay, well, this, this candidate has gone through level two and stuff. So there's some, you know, and her, uh, her boss. Yeah. Well, I guess it was her former boss and coach Gary Winkler was a big level two and, uh, the coach's education teacher. So I'm sure that had to at least subconsciously play like, okay, he's, he's done these things. So he must care about Mm -hmm. wanting to get better at his craft. But this person that's here in front of me seems to be a fit for my coaching Mm -hmm. staff and hired you. That is that's an amazing story. That's a story that does not get told. The other story gets told the, the famous athlete who gets right. the job, the, um, um, you know, I've, I've known so-and-so for my whole life. And that's how I got the job. What a great mm-hmm. story of perseverance, working hard, going after it, and putting yourself out there. Cause I was going to ask you, why did you even apply for that job? How do you, you know, what, what chutzpah did you have that you thought you even had a shot? Yeah, no. And you're, you're absolutely right. And thank you. Those that's, that's like the biggest compliment that you could give me because I, I do take a lot of pride in that 
path, you know, that having gone that direction. And, you know, I think in hindsight, um, the connections that I had made with some of those high level coaches that we talked about, you know, and, and, and I didn't know, I mean, I knew who Gary Winkler was, I didn't know him, but they were obviously all very connected themselves being at the top of the, you know, top of the chain. Right. And so when Gary was getting ready to retire, from Illinois and Tanja was getting ready to take over. I wasn't really aware of all those mechanics happening either. You know, that was kind of all behind the scenes. That was all part of the plan. And I learned after the fact that early in the process, so we had interviewed and gone through this process in summer, you know, on the national meet, I guess, and I'm humbled that this was the case earlier, like as, as early as the winter before my name was in that conversation of here's a guy. Cause we, you know, I had talked a lot to those guys about, helping me get to that next level and helping me make connections. And, and, and they knew I was on that path. They knew I was trying to find the right fit. And so I, I, it's my understanding that some of those conversations happened formally or informally, you know, as early as the winter before. And when I applied, it was less of a random pick off the resume than I had even known. I, I wasn't aware that those things were going on behind the scenes. And I was just fortunate to have done some things prior to set that up to go the way that it did. And then, you know, Tanja's one of my favorite people on the planet to this day. We talk all the time and, and, you know, I'm, I'm just a huge fan of hers as a person and, you know, her family and her kids. And it's just, it, it really worked out to be a really cool relationship, you know, track and field and otherwise. So I'm well, grateful. I think you just reinforced the, you are always interviewing Mm -hmm. theme, if you will, of your story here, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like things yeah. were going on, but the, in the background that I had no idea was going on, uh, and probably better off that you didn't, cause then you don't have to put on a show, you know, Oh, well, I better act right. like X, Y, or Z. You just got to be yourself. And that's what attracted mm -hmm. you to them. That's awesome. So, uh, you come to Illinois and much like mm -hmm. all of my Illinois coaching friends. So if you don't know, Gil athletics is in Champaign where obviously the university of Illinois is. And when someone gets a job here at Illinois, uh, that is when I see them the least amount of times. <laughs> it is the funniest thing in the world. Uh, you know, great friends on staff, Mike Turk and, uh, you know, Jabri was just here. I was, I was talking to Jabri yesterday and I see them less when they work here at Illinois than when they work at other institutions or I'll only see them when we go to convention or, Say, or at least not in town. Right. Like right. Yeah. Across paths across the country. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, uh, so when you were here during your time here, you and I, like, I'm sure people think like, Oh, the Illinois coaches, they must be, you know, they, you, you guys must hang out with them, you know, grabbing beers every night. It's like, yeah, I yeah. never see. No, fortunately, no, but just on the road. Uh, yeah. So um, how was your time at Illinois? And what, uh, oh, it was what great. You know, it was great. You know, I, I, it was, um, you know, I was thrown into the deep end. I was in over my head, um, for sure. And, you know, because that's, there are differences between these levels that you, there's just nothing that you can get prepared for. And that was one thing coach Boo had said to me one time that really rang true. And he goes, everybody's talking about making these moves when they're ready or when you're prepared or, and he's like, you're never ready, man. Like there's, there's never, you're either going to get there and figure it out or you're not, but there's nothing you can do to walk into that situation at a new level or at a new place and say, I've already got this figured out. I'm just ready to go. And so I was certainly in over my head, um, you know, working with levels of athletes and, and different personalities. And, and, you know, it's, it's always difficult to go into a new position where there's athletes there that you haven't, you know, that didn't come with knowing that they were going to work with you. And sometimes that's a smooth transition and other times it's not. Um, so, you know, I did the best I could. I, I worked as hard as I could. I figured it out as best I could. I'm sure I, you know, stubbed my toe plenty of times. And, and a lot of those athletes were looking at me like this guy has absolutely no idea what he was doing. <laughs> I can admit that. Um, 
but, you know, figured it out and had some success and, and had some people get better and, and had some people win. And, you know, the, uh, as a team, we ended up doing pretty well in those couple of years and, mm-hmm. and, you know, being one of the top programs in the big 10, if not the, the country there a few times and, um, and just really learned, you know, not just the X's and O's of, of coaching athletes and that day-to-day stuff, but just the workings of a division one program. And, you know, the resources that are available to you and how to take advantage of those resources and how to use a, a full team of people to, to make that program go. Um, you know, it's not all you. So there was a lot of stuff to learn there and it was, it was a blast. I, I really enjoyed it. And you transitioned from Illinois over to Indiana? No. Um, so uh, it, what's the best way? So at, at, at five years at Illinois, Tanja got the opportunity to go and be an associate head coach at the university of Texas. Right. Um, so she goes down to take that job and much like, you know, we talked about now I know how this works when your head coach goes somewhere and isn't in a position to take you with them. Um, you're kind of <laughs> left to the devices of those that are in power there. So, um, you can call it what you want. Um, I didn't get, a, you know, I was interested in becoming the head coach there. I don't know if I was ready for it or not, but I was certainly interested in giving it a shot. I didn't get that. Um, they hired somebody else who decided to go a different direction with his staff. So you, again, call it what you like, let go, fired, not renewed. It doesn't matter to me. It, I didn't have a position there anymore, um, which was fine. So now I'm back in the same position I was in years before scrambling, you know, like I want to eat, I want to get paid. I want to you know, continue to do this. So um, through a series of applying and looking and, and everybody's been in that kind of frantic situation, I ended up, uh, applying for and interviewing for and eventually getting the head cross country and track and field coaching job at the university of new Orleans, oh, that's um, right. yeah, yeah. wild card, you know what I mean? Like just, just Southland conference going to new Orleans. I mean, couldn't be more different in any capacity than anything I had done before, uh, other than it was still a coaching job. Now, let me ask you. So there are, I I don't necessarily think that any level is more better than any other level. That was a very awkward way of saying that. Um, every, every place is different. There are certainly, Mm -hmm. uh, there's more money in the power five side. And I mean that in resources, not always necessarily in salary boys and girls, sorry to tell you that, but, Mm -hmm. um, but in resources and, you know, travel budget, equipment budget, et cetera. Mm -hmm versus, uh, you know, scholarship versus D3, no scholarship. They're, they're, each program is just different. We're still out there mm-hmm. competing in the 100 meter dash and uh, the level of expectation is different. Uh, you know, what it takes to make D3 nationals is different than D2, D1. Uh, mm-hmm. And let's not forget about our good friends at the NAIA and JUCO level, sure. same thing, right? But how did you, you know, we've been talking and skirting around a little bit about this subject of ego. How mm-hmm. did you handle going from big 10, you know, um, great travel budget, equipment budget. Uh, you know, no, no school has it better than Illinois when it comes to equipment. We're kind of like, uh, you know, you've got the Walmart or track and field in your backyard. Yep. You forget something you're great. You run over yep. to the factory and you're good. You know, we don't have to worry we've about done it. Yeah, I remember. Oh, yep. Yep. Gary Winkler once we had to come in on a Saturday because Gary was going to a track meet and forgot batons and mm-hmm. had to, it's like no yeah. other program could do that. I'm sorry. You That's know, great. Yeah. but, um, so you go from that to a smaller resourced program in the university of new Orleans. How did you handle that? on your ego fronts? Mm-hmm. The ego wasn't an issue. I love to coach and, and, and that's, that's just something I enjoy doing. Um, there were unique challenges and there are differences. Um, I don't necessarily think it was, was necessarily ego driven though, that made those things any more or less difficult. I'd like to think so. I'm sure there was probably some of that deep down in there somewhere, but 
Um, you know, the bigger challenge is in, in those differences, the, the different levels of division one, I feel like present me, and this is my own personal, I think some people enjoy these challenges. Everybody likes different things. And, and, but for me, the differences in division one programs are more challenging to deal with than the differences between a big division one program and like a division three program. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I go from Illinois where we want for nothing, um, and go to new Orleans where, I mean, if I can save 50 cents on shipping someplace, that's what I'm supposed to do, Mm -hmm. you know, and we're supposed to be, I use air quotes here, right. We're supposed to be competitive at the same level. Right. Okay. So, so that's a different challenge. I go to the division three world. I may have a fraction of the budget. Um, I may not be flying all over the country. I might be working with different ability to athletes, not different in terms of their passion and their excitement and, right. and how much fun, but the expectation is we're going to compete against other division three schools. And so that's a different challenge. Mm-hmm. But if you go from a, a major power five to a mid-major and in New Orleans cases, barely mid-major power, uh, mid-major division one school, that's the difference, man. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where it was, you know, I going down there, um, this is a weird analogy, maybe go with me here for a second, but like, <laughs> I thought I was Rocky two or Rocky three. Oh boy. Um, yeah, we're going, this is going <laughs> to okay. be interesting, right? right. So go, go with up. me on this. Okay. There was one Rocky movie there where, where Rocky Balboa did a, a, a promotional fight with uh, Hulk Hogan. And I think they called him Thunderlips in the, in the movie. Right. And it was supposed to be a show. It was supposed to be fun. They were going to go in spar a little bit and, you know, put on a show and shake hands and everybody's happy. And it turned out that Hulk Hogan comes out and just, you know, pummels him. You know what I mean? He's coming hundred percent going hard. And to me going to new Orleans felt a little like that. It was like, I'm going to go down. This is a new program. We're going to be, it's going to be fun and we're getting things going and you know, there's not going to be any time. And it was like going into that ring and just taking haymakers from every angle, you know what I mean? Be it from the athletes and, and or at least that's what it felt like to me. It was mm. just a different challenge. Like it went in and it went zero to hundred miles an hour like that Hmm. and you know every it was it was just a really unique challenge and so it took a minute to kind of settle in and just say okay we take a breath we can do this we we got this and um so the challenges down there were just very unique i guess and and maybe i wasn't prepared or expecting them to be what they were um but it was of all the places i've been i always say new orleans what every place a little different new orleans is the most different it's, it's the most different in, in every, on every capacity. In every Are you capacity. talking specifically about like the school or the, 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 All the of community, yes. yeah, everything, the community, yeah. the city, the people, yeah. the school, and that's not good or bad. That, or, right. and, and you know what I mean? At all. It's just, it was absolutely different. Um, yeah. and I really, I loved it though. I mean, the city was phenomenal. I enjoyed my time. Um, just an amazing, some amazing cultural experiences. Uh, I learned a ton, um, you know, being, you know, managing budgets on that level and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, being, having my hands on every single piece and going from, you know, all day long, all night long. It was, it was a lot of fun, uh, very unique challenge. Now it wasn't your first head coaching job. You were a head coach of Redlands. Were there a lot of similarities, mm-hmm. even though the divisions were different as far the, the paperwork side, you know, the budgeting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that. you know, it's, it was a lot different and that was a good thing. I, I kind of knew the differences there having been at the division one level, you know, we don't really worry about official visits. We don't worry about compliance things nearly as much at division three level, because we just don't have the money to make those big mistakes. You know what I mean? Like it's really, it's to be honest. And, and, you know, so now you're still bound by all of those compliance rules and, and recruiting regulations and things like that. And, 
and um, you know, making sure that you're accounting for everything and, 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 and the support staff was different there than what it was at Illinois. So now, you know, I'm doing all that paperwork and I'm submitting everything and I'm in, which is fine. Right. Um, but, but it's, there's, there's, you're really, you're really the point guy for everything related to that mm-hmm. program. And so it was just a different challenge in that, in that respect. And so now new Orleans to Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. So, how, so how'd, that, how'd that come along? Very oddly. Um, well, I knew there was a job open, um, same kind of thing. And it, it kind of went with a, a, a similar sort of path to the way the Illinois thing worked out. Whereas, you know, we were fortunate to have a really great athlete um, at New Orleans that made it to the national meet. Um, so we were out there in Oregon that year with the decathlete and I had heard rumblings, you know, you kind of want to be in the room, you hear rumblings that there's a job open. I really enjoyed the big 10 and I really like Bloomington. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I'd heard there might be a position there. Um, so you start connecting dots and you start thinking about, you know, who do I know, who knows who, and, you know, who can I at least let know that I'd be interested in potentially talking to somebody about this job and hope that through the channels, it gets back in a way that I didn't do it myself, but somebody else kind of does it. So I won't necessarily drop names here, but that's kind of how that went. You know what I mean? You find out who's making the decisions you find out and you sort of put yourself next to somebody. Oh, really? Indiana? So I might be a neat job to take a look at. And then honestly, uh, uh, maybe a week or two after that, I was at home in, in New Orleans and Ron Helmer called me from his farm out in Kansas, his family farm, and said, we'd love for you to come up and, and talk to us about this position. Um, so I did. And that was that. And how many years you've been at Illinois now? I think this is my seventh year here. So I've, I've right? kind of made a, yeah, yeah. I was thinking about that this morning. I've kind of done a good, good stint here now and, and, and put in some time and it's been fun. Wow. So how do you like, I mean, Bloomington and specifically Indiana university's campus is it's always rated one of the top two or three, like most beautiful mm-hmm. as far as, you know, the architecture and the flowers. I mean, it is a gorgeous yeah. campus. Yeah. Uh, what's it like coaching at Indiana? I love it. You know, it's, um, you know, I love the city. I love the area. Uh, I should the city, the town, you know, it's a, it's not a big city by any stretch. Um, but you know, for a guy like me, it works out well, you know, you can get out in the woods and, and be out on the trails and, and spend some time on the lake or whatever with, you know, it's 10, 15 minutes away. And then you can go, you know, quote unquote downtown and, and get some good food or, 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 well, we used to be able to go down and hang out at cool bars and things like that. Um, hopefully we get to do that again soon. And it's, you know, again, being from Pittsburgh, my family's still there. So I get back in a day is nice. And, um, you know, it's, and, and just program wise, you know, we have what we need and we've been really successful and the expectation is that we're successful. So, um, you know, I, I enjoy that aspect of it as well. I want the expectation to be that we win, um, and the pressure to be there that we win and that's how it should be. I mean, what I love about Indiana's track program is its staff, actually. I mean, just great people from mm-hmm. Ed Bathia, who is, I mean, just in, he, I know he knows this, but I don't say enough is instrumental in my career uh, when I was a coach as well from being at Indiana, his time there, uh, Corey Martin, come on, man, mm-hmm. dude's awesome. Jake, Ron, of course, you got to give it yeah. up to the, to the director and, uh, even down to your director of ops, you know, Jay Arthur, I mean, just, Jay Arthur. he's got a oh, great man. staff yeah. there, you know, great, mm-hmm. great people there. So, uh, we've got some questions, uh, Sure. you know, I'm a, uh, big social media advocate and I'm, yeah. uh, you know, I've, uh, I've doubled and tripled down on Twitter. So, uh, reaching out to my network on Twitter, it was like, Hey, I've got this guy named Mike Herb on the, the mm-hmm. podcast. What questions might you have? So I thought maybe we sure. do a little bit of a, um, rapid it. fire, if you will okay. expand on how you want to expand. So, uh, great friend of the program, Marissa Chu. Now, Marissa, if you don't know who she is, 
first of all, what, what rock are you under for real? Mm -hmm. uh, she uh, started and runs a great group on Facebook. You've got to go check it out. It's Coaches Collab. You can also, uh, if you look back in our catalog of interviews, Marissa is one of the few people that's actually been on the on the podcast twice. Uh, once we talked about just about the Coaches Collab, and then uh, we had her on again to talk about her journey in this profession. And it's it's uh, a lot of similarities to you, Mike. You know, she's from California. She coached at San Francisco sure. State and now is at IUPUI. So she's, uh, I don't know, maybe you're following her or she's, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we won't touch that. Who's, who's following her? <laughs> but Marissa uh, asks some pretty good questions here. So she asked, one of her first questions is being in a distance heavy program at, at Indiana. And, and mm -hmm. you tell us if that's a fair description or not, but what are some of the challenges that you face when recruiting? Uh, you're not in the, you, you don't coach distance. So what challenges mm -hmm. do you face recruiting into a distance heavy program like Indiana? Sure. I, th I think that's a really good question. Um, and, and I don't think there's any, I don't think we're doing anybody a disservice by saying it is a distance heavy program by where the success is, where the, well, I should say where the points are, where the, where the numbers are in terms of um, the part of our team. But, you know, that, that certainly is, it can be a challenge, um, you know, but I think what we, what I sell a lot is we might be distance heavy, but we're a complete track and field program, right? Um, a lot of programs like to, you know, go in heavy on one event or another or one group or another. And if you go, you know, when you see us show up at a national championship meet, there's going to be distance runners, there's going to be sprinters, there's going to be jumpers, there's going to be throwers, there's going to be pole vaulters. You know, we don't show up with just one specific group of athletes. We show up there with a very diverse, complete team. And there's a lot of value in that. And, um, you know, there's a lot of, you can be successful doing that. So it's really neat to you know, if you are a jumper with our program and maybe, you know, most of these kids coming out of high school, right? Like they were kind of everything to everybody if, if they're good enough to be here. So they were running relays and they were on the track and they were in the runways and this sort of thing. And it's like, you know, you come to a program like this, you get to do what you do and be very confident that when you look over your shoulder, there's somebody taking care of all those other events, right? Like you can really unburden yourself from some of that responsibility because we got people everywhere. We got people doing everything. And our goal is to continue to provide that diverse experience, both, you know, from an event standpoint to a performance standpoint, all those sorts of things. Um, and, and there's people that really enjoy that, you know? Um, and then I'd also say that, you know, if I'm selling, you know, winning, so, you know, we, we've, our, our men's program in particular, the women's program has done very, very well. The men's program, um, if you go back a couple of years I, and somebody call me out on social media or I, I don't have the stats in my head exactly, but we've either been second or won the Big Ten for like the last three or two or three years anyway, mm -hmm. indoor, outdoors, you know, on the, on the track. Um, so I think that's a sell too. It's like, listen, you're going to come here. You're going to be successful. You're going to be part of a program that is at worst in the conversation the night before the meet to try to go and win that meet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's never like we're just trying to finish middle of the pack. We don't want to finish last. And I've been in those positions, you know, um, we're trying to win Big Ten titles every time we go to the meet. Mm -hmm. And it's not outlandish to think that we can't do that. And that takes a, a, a big group of people. Um, so, yeah, it's there's a challenge. And and, um, you know, fortunately, we've had a lot of success in the jump. So that that's something that, that we sell as well. What you keep mentioning jumps and we didn't actually ask this question. Shame on me, but what, what yeah. events are you specifically in, in charge of? At yeah. Atlanta? Yeah. I'm responsible for the men's and women's long triple high jump. And then I coach the heptathletes and athletes. So I've got the women's combined events. Okay. Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. So Marissa had a follow-up question. She says, sure. uh, having been a lead and assistant at non-Power5 programs, uh, now an assistant at Power5, at a Power, back to being an assistant at a Power5 program, has the hype, that's her word, has the hype turned out to be what you thought it was? Now, what's interesting is asking that question after we've learned about the climb and the journey. Um, at no point did I hear anything, and I love that she used the word hype because you know in society we we hype up Power Five, right? I mean, mm -hmm. uh, the the college football championships. You're, uh, I think it's pretty well known if you're not in the Power Five, you're not going to make it to the mm -hmm. to the playoffs. Those kind of things, right? Um, so how how would you answer her question? Has the hype coming back to Indiana and that your time at Illinois has the hype turned out to be what you thought it was? Give you a short answer and then explanation. Um, the, the short answer is yes, for me. Okay. Um, it's it's a blast. You know what I mean? I, I love all of the ancillary things that go along. I love to coach. That doesn't change. I love the people that that there's great people everywhere. Um, I love to be successful. Um, I love to help people get to where they want to go to. Um, but I and I don't know if other I love the being on the road. I love traveling. I love, um, you know, getting to be at places like Hayward Field and Drake Oval and Penn Relays and Texas. I, I love that stuff. I, I, and so, you know, that's not the reason to do this um, by any imagination. I mean, if that's your if that's your why, that's probably a, a bad why, in my opinion. Um, but all else being equal, I really enjoy those types of things because to be fair, it is pretty equal. Um, you know, I, there's no better or worse people at any level. There's no better or worse administrators at any level. There are better and worse administrators and people at every level, mm -hmm. you know? So, so those things don't change. The goals are the same. You're trying to impact people positively. You're trying to, you know, create an environment where people can feel comfortable and, and be the most successful versions of themselves that they can be like that that's all the same, man. Like that, that doesn't change. Um, and that's why we do this stuff. We have the opportunity to impart these kind of things on, on young people and, and be part of their journey and their success. And, and that's the same all the way across. So, you know, um, but yeah, I, I like, I like luxuries that the, the, the bigger programs afford, if, if I'm being completely honest. And, um, but that said, kind of to go back to what I talked about before, I like the big division one programs. And I like that division three model. I think the middle, that's a challenge that isn't, I'm not suited for. Hmm. Um, and again, there's, that's not, that's just my personal opinion. That's just what I feel and what I've experienced where there are people that are just amazing at taking nothing and turning it into something. And, um, you know, I think that's, I, I'm in awe of those people, but I kind of like being on one end of the spectrum or the other, I think having been on most of the spectrum at this point. I love how you put it earlier about, you know, there's not a lot of difference between say D3 and D1 besides some resources, of course, but mm -hmm. you said really it's the athletes abilities that are different. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and I'd probably take that a step further that on the overall massive scale, the abilities are different because certainly we see some, you know, oh, there's outliers. individuals yeah. that are just amazing. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. like you, you uh, Jeremy Scott, we talked about, right. There's an outlier right. D3, but you know, would win the division one meet. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That it's, but the, the kids are still, you know, passionate about their sport, passionate mm -hmm. about education, 
showing up every day to work at a craft while also going to class and having a life and things like that. So I, I like how sure. you put that earlier. Well, thanks for those questions, Marissa. I really, really appreciate that. Now we got another Great. one here. Um, I, I'm probably uh, not probably I'm going to absolutely butcher uh, <laughs> just realized his first name is Mike. So here's our triple Mike of the day. <laughs> sure. So Mike, uh, he's on Twitter. He's Mike Zahn Spikes. That's so much easier to pronounce. But his last name seems to be I'm gonna have you take a stab at. It. I'm gonna spell it. Maybe you okay. know. Maybe you know Mike here. Let's see. D W I J A C Z. Is that V? Was that a V in the beginning? Z as in zebra. Z. Might just be like that's a that's a European. That, that sounds like a name I see in Pittsburgh a lot. Um, with that. <laughs> uh, oh boy. Zwijak. 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 You check. There's probably a check at the end of there with that AZCZ maybe uh, or like Zwijek or something like that. I'm going to say Zwijek. Well, thanks for uh, t- challenging us, Mike Z. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I bet he's been called Mike Z his whole life. Come on, man. Sure, no, uh, but Mike asked, and this is interesting because um, you know, I don't do a lot of research before the, <laughs> I'm sure everybody listening right now is like, well, that's pretty evident, Mike. Um, yeah. But uh, Mike Z asked, what event will Bailey win in the NCAA's uh, when NCAA is in first, so which event is Mr. or Mrs. Bailey? Uh, I don't know what event or athlete. Maybe I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's talking about Bailey Hertenstein, um, okay. who's a distance runner for us. Um, and she was just runner up in the Big Ten cross country meet a couple of weeks ago that we had down the road in Shelbyville. She's a phenomenal, phenomenal talent. And, you know, I can sidestep this one pretty easy because I don't have any direct uh, impact on what she does from day to day and right. from a coaching perspective. But I can tell you, I've watched her do some workouts on the track that are absolutely mind blowing. Mm. Um, so I'll, I'll leave it at that and say she's done some things that I've not seen people do before and that I've seen people that were really successful struggle with. Um, I've seen her do some pretty crazy stuff. So it's it's a it's fun to be in the shadows in the background and just kind of seeing her do amazing things. And she's going to have a tremendous amount of success at whichever uh, event ends up being her her premier one for sure. Isn't, isn't that so much fun? Like we have obviously a lot of fun and inside and personalization of our event group because we're working with those individuals, you know, on a daily basis and from soup to nuts, you know, the whole thing, mm-hmm. strength training, etc. Uh, but to see other athletes and other groups, like especially special ones, which it sounds like Bailey is of like, Absolutely. Oh, I'm seeing greatness before everybody else gets to see it. When, when I was at Mississippi state, we had Tiffany McWilliams who uh, set the 1500 meter collegiate record during her time with us. And I obviously did not coach mid distance distance at all. Yeah. You know, I was with the jumpers and hurdlers and sprinters and stuff, but you would watch her work out. Mm-hmm. And, and we had other, like we had another all sec 1500 meter runner, and she would blow her out. I mean, like it was like, Crazy. oh, this girl's pretty good. She's all SEC. We'll take mm. that all day. But Tiffany is, you know, is gapping her on 700 meter repeats and stuff. And you just, so, you just, you're just watching. You're like, oh, so that's what a, a another athlete, you know, the the next rung up, if you will, uh, how, how they act and in and uh, perform. Yeah, yeah. Shoot, I mean, I'm just watching that group. He's coach Elmer right now and, and coach poor. I can't not oh, yeah. give him credit. Cause he's, he's as equally involved as, as, uh, as Ron is at this point, but you know, I mean, shoot, Kelsey Harris just ran two Oh two, um, you know, last weekend. And, and that's somebody that Bailey's working out with every day. And, and, you know, so again, think what, you know, extrapolate what you will, what those workouts look like when you've got a group of women that are capable of going like two Oh two to two Oh five. And there's like four or five of them. And they're just trading, you know, 
finishing punches left and right all day long. It's, it's just, a, it's fun to watch, man. It is, it is neat to stay on the inside of that oval and I'm doing our thing. And it's like, did she just run that many right. with that 30 second recovery at 30 <laughs> seconds, like just clipping them off. Like it's no big deal. Like, are you at 50 or something now? You know, it's, a, um, it's, it's really cool. I was going to say, you know, what a great tradition Indiana has in the mid distance, you know, the eight miles and steeples, but that's actually unfair to say, because I think, and, and you know, it's not like I went to Indiana. I mean, Indiana does play very big into my coaching career, but I think I can name a super stud in every event area from Danielle Carruthers and the hurdles mm-hmm. uh, to the amazing throwers that have been there. Uh, pole vaulters sprint. I mean, literally every group has a, a history there. I'd love to see, I, I got to look this up after the show, maybe today, the school records, like it, they the, the top 10 list they're, yeah. they're, they're, Oh my gosh. So, you know, and I, I think I've had some success here. I think I've had some athletes that are really, really good. You know, I mean, Eric went out and jumped almost 55 feet in a triple jump and, and, and Trayton's been a 25 high long jumper and, you know, seven, three, seven, four and a high jump. And it's like, you might get on that top 10 list. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's insane. Like in, in those jumps, the history there, the depth, I mean, yeah. you gotta, you gotta do be a, just an unbelievably special athlete to even be among the names there. I don't know if there's not an Olympian at the top of every jumps list. Yeah. You got Derek Druin, you got, um, Eric, uh, uh, Eric, uh, come on. What event? Triple jumper, long jumper. I'm, I'm, I'm so embarrassed that I'm, I see his picture on the wall every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and so there are, you're, you're talking about like Greg, Greg Udell and triple jump. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. Greg Udell. Uh-huh. No, no, no. Eric, um, the, the he's more recent. Oh, Eric um, Wilson. Wilson, thank you. Yes. I'm just, I don't know why I was drawing a hey, blank who, there. Who, who coaches for anyway. Indiana here? Come on now. I know, I know. I, I need to, again. I see his picture, his triple jump. I can see it on the wall every single day. But you know, and yeah. So there's Olympians at the top of every single yeah. list, and sometimes they're two, three deep. You yeah. know, and it's it's nuts. That gives me an idea. Jeremy Warner recently posted a picture of his high school's uh, school record board from from mm-hmm. high school, and you, of course he's on there for the two and the four. And I was actually surprised not to see him in like the long jump or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right, right. An athlete that Jeremy was. I might start a, a Twitter challenge or a social media challenge of posting a picture of your school's record board. You know, be, be not only proud, but, you know, uh, some of the interesting things we'll find. Like we, yeah. had, we had Lance Deal on the show and I happened to be at Lance's alma mater a couple of years ago, Montana mm-hmm. State, I think. I'll get him confused whether he went to Montana or Montana State, but I think he went to Montana State. But Lance Deal, you know, Olympian, medalist, record holder, he does not own his college's hammer throw school record, which you no would have thought. Yeah, right. You would have thought, of course, no he has. Yeah, yeah. He went to Montana State. Of course, he holds the yeah. hammer. No, he doesn't. He holds the discus, but he does not hold. In fact, I looked it up when we interviewed him. I think he is. I think he's just on the inside of top ten. I think he's sixth or eighth on the the list. No kidding. And it's like wow. again another story of hope. Like, oh, this kid wasn't even his own school record holder. And yet he goes on to win medals. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, that's, that's phenomenal. Okay. So uh, let's keep going here. So you mentioned mm-hmm. our next, uh, thanks Mike Z for that great question. Yeah. And, uh, and maybe uh, correct me on Twitter. T- tell me how to actually say your last name. I want to make sure. I'm going Zwijek or Zwijek or something All right. like we'll, that. We'll, that's, that's, but anyway, yeah. Mike, let us know which Mike got it, got it closer. Probably we didn't get it right. So which one of us got it closer? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned our next uh, questioner. Uh, we'll start wrapping up the show with him. You mentioned sure. Mr. Tom Sage earlier. So I, mean, I, know, yeah. I know you and Tom are pretty pretty close, yeah. pretty good friends. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Real good friends with Tom. So he has lots of good questions uh, that we'll get to. But uh, I, I don't know if he intentionally made, meant to make this a question. He, he added a gif to his question. And I thought this actually was the best question because I'm a huge 
fan of the show, The Office. Mm -hmm. and so he's got these great questions we'll get into, but the gift that he put on his post was of Michael Scott asking, and you know, if it's a famous scene where he, he talks to Toby, I hope you're, mm -hmm. I mean, I guess you are the Toby in this. I'm full. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I, yeah. Get, I get where we're at. He asked, why are you the way that you are? <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you, you you want me to skip that and go to the other questions, or do you have an? You could go. I mean, that's a why am I boy? That's a that's a different podcast altogether, isn't it? Like that's we're getting into a whole different realm when we start getting those deep questions. So yeah, you, you know, you've known Tom for so long, you you could wow. actually answer it and say, you know, you know why I am the way I am? Well, because of people like you, Tom. Yeah, it's exactly. You drive me crazy. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So really, uh, real good questions Tom had here is what mm -hmm. advice? Uh, this is kind of a standard interview question uh, sure. that I don't. I don't ever ask. So I like that Tom asked it is what advice would you give to your younger coaching self? Now you're not that old, but going back to that naive kid right. who was coaching at, you know, university of Redlands and Hershey's programs. What, what, if any advice would you give if you could? You know, I, I, I saw that he asked that question and I, and I actually thought about it last night and I'm, this may not really answer that well, but I might almost flip it around and say, I think I'd work now to take some advice from some of the stuff I did when I didn't know any better was, was maybe not the worst thing in the world to do. Like being a little less analytical, a little less careful about things, a little less conservative. Um, you know, when you, the more experience you have, or at least for me, sometimes the more experience I have, I'm, I'm a little less willing to take chances. Hmm. And so I look back at what stuff I did when I was just getting started and think, I don't necessarily know if it was hundred percent right or wrong, but man, it was fearless, you know, and it was, it was without concern for the, the, the consequences. And a lot of times those things landed and worked out. So, you know, I almost flipped that around and say, I may want to live life a little more like that. Um, but, um, you know, but, it's, but looking back, you know, I think the advice that I give my younger self is probably there were some times that I could have been a little more patient with things and a little less aggressive, you know what I mean? And, and just, you know, or reach out to, to people, um, you know, allow people to help you that want to help you and don't take things all on yourself. You know what I mean? So again, a little, a little more patience, a little more openness and willingness to, to maybe listen to some, some helpful people. I mean, like I said, there were great mentors, but, but um, you know, just not wanting to get it all at once would probably be uh, some, some advice that I have from my younger self. Now, I think we've actually answered this next question. So I'll let you summation uh, sure. sum it up here. Uh, Tom asks, uh, you've had uh, success motivating athletes to achieve at a high level. What motivates you to motivate them? Yeah. Um, watching that process happen, watching the joy that that brings somebody that's able to achieve something that maybe they didn't get think they could achieve. And, and more than just from an athletic standpoint, um, I've said this before to other people where there is there, are, I can, and there's not a ton of them, but there's a few cases where you get an athlete that you recruit them and, you know, it's a struggle that they're eligible academically for college, right? Like we've got to work and we've got to, you know, really check transcripts and test scores and retake. And it's like, they barely get eligible, barely get into a, a school from an academic standpoint, but because of their athletic ability, they had that opportunity, right? And then you look up four or five years down the road and this particular athlete has got great grades at the college level, is going to have a degree, maybe one of the first in their family to do it, is gotten away from a situation where most people don't have that kind of success. 
And it was because of their athletic ability, but they were able to show that they had that capability, right? Like they had the ability to do more than what maybe they were given credit for. And that is motivating to mm -hmm. me, right? And along the way, let's win some Big Ten titles. Let's get to some national meets. Let's do all that kind of stuff. But you know what? You also have a degree. You also are going to be able to go back and impact positively where you're from or move on to some bigger and better stuff someplace else. And you would have never had that opportunity had it not been for the fact that you could run fast or jump high or that sort of thing, right? And those are, you know, they're, they're not often, they don't happen all the time, but to me, that's motivating. And that, that really makes this, and will always continue to make this exciting and, um, you know, energetic to, to move forward with those kind of people. Yeah, I think, you know, as we've been listening to you for the past hour and a half or so, uh, I think it's pretty evident that you are very extrinsically motivated for the athletes. Now, a lot of times we talk about, you know, you should be intrinsically motivated, things like that. But it seems like your passion, it's become loud and clear is about helping those people not only jump farther and run faster, things like that, but you know, receiving those degrees, going on to mm -hmm. being coaches, doctors, lawyers, whatever, you know, being productive members of society, if you will. Uh, and really, you know, your story is about being helped and helping others that, that the kids that you coach to become adults, that they go on to help others and, and be helped by others as well. It's pretty, mm -hmm. pretty evident. That's what that's, that's it is. Last question from Tom here uh, is, have you had a boss or a mentor that changed or challenged your coaching philosophy? Now, you've talked about some mentors that have helped you develop coaching philosophy, Abu mm -hmm. and Rock and things. Have you had anybody that's challenged you to say, maybe I shouldn't be doing X, Y, or Z uh, with my coaching? Ron Helmer, for sure. Interesting, okay. You know, I think, I think that, and I say that with, the utmost respect and appreciation for that, right? Um, try to keep this as short as possible, but long story short, if you followed along that progression, um, you know, I was immediately a head coach at Redlands. Uh, I was an assistant for a minute there at, at, at Marquette. When I was at Illinois with, with Tanja, I was completely left for better, or for worse to my own devices. Like there was, it was, that's just her, you know what I mean? She hired me and you do what you need to do and that's it. And that's it. Then I went to become a head coach at new Orleans. So that's five, one, five, 10, almost 12 years of basically having almost hundred percent autonomy mm. over the group of athletes that I coached. And then I come to Indiana and Ron Helmer likes things to be done in a manner that Ron Helmer likes them to be done. And he likes to be involved. He likes to have influence. He likes to, you know, kind of dictate what's going on. And if I'm being hundred percent honest, I did not respond well to that initially. That, and, and I, I kind of had to reflect on that and realize that, that like, I just hadn't ever been in that position. I had just through stroke of circumstance been pretty much on my own for 10 or 12 years in this, to figure it out. And the way I would do things weren't necessarily the same way that Ron Helmer would do things, but Ron Helmer is the boss and he's been doing this for 40 some years and he's been wildly successful. And, you know, and we just had a different way of doing stuff. Um, I'll leave that at that. And so <laughs> I don't know that that always led, you know, so that challenged me and as the employee, right. It's not my job to uh, try to force him to do things the way I want them to be done. It's my job to figure out how to fit what I want to do in with what he wants to do. And I understand that. I appreciate that. I respect that. Um, I'm not saying I always did that with grace, but you know, I, I, I tried and, and I think we're in a good place now. 
Um, and, and I think the success is, has been, you know, a testament to that, but, but yeah, I would say he's the first one that really challenged things and and whether he realizes it or not, he did and and continues to on a certain level. And, um, I appreciate that, even though I might not show that all the time, I really do. Um, and it's been a positive experience, uh, because of that. Well, shout out to Ron, because as he got you as an assistant coach and maybe you, I think you alluded to some maybe pushing back of that Mm -hmm. new expectations and things like that. He easily could have cut bait, right? (laughs) I mean, he could have been like, all right, Mike, let's, uh, this ain't working. You know, we've all had those conversations as a coach is like, this ain't working. We're going to go a different direction, right? I think that's uh, the words that Karen used from her AD. Uh, Karen Dennis used for us at uh, UNLV. We're going to go in a different direction. You, you talked about it earlier. It's uh, it's another way of saying, okay, bye-bye. You're fired, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. But instead, Ron obviously saw something in you and continued to work and just said, hey, this is how – this is the expectations we have. And you had to be um, moldable, pa- mm-hmm. uh, palatable, if you will, to understand, mm-hmm. okay, I need to take – insight here and get yep. grow with this. And, you know, I think you'll look back 10, 15 years from now and be like, Oh man, thank goodness. Not only Ron didn't give up on me, <laughs> but yeah. B Ron cared enough about me as a professional in the coaching world that he did teach me the X, Y's and Z's mm-hmm. of, of his style of, of coaching and, and head coaching. Yeah. He, he practices what he preaches. One thing like lesson that I've taken away from him and I hear him say all the time, you know, without, without challenge, without, without risk, there's no growth, you know, and, and that's how we grow. If I've heard him say, that's how we grow so many times. It's, it's through difficult situations. It's through uncomfortable things. It's through failure. It's through, it's all the bad stuff or all the things that we want to say are bad. Mm -hmm. Getting through that is how we grow. And so it's funny talking this out loud kind of makes you think about it a little bit. And there may have been some of that to him going, listen, he, he probably saw me struggling with this and maybe he sits back and says, well, I'm going to give him a minute. And if he's able to grow through that and, and, you know, get to a better place because of it. And who knows, maybe there was some method to that madness and, and maybe he didn't, or maybe he didn't even aware that I felt this way in the first place. You know what I mean? Or maybe that's just kind of part of it, but you know, getting through those challenges and risking a little bit and, and growing from it, I think is, is really what it comes down to. And that's absolutely his philosophy. And, um, you know, I've certainly taken that away from him and, and it's been, it's, it's worked out really well. That's awesome, man. Well, shout out to Ron Helmer. I mean, legend in our profession and, uh, you know, has done an amazing job moving over to the big 10 and just, uh, not only continuing the tradition, the strong tradition Indiana program has had, but growing that tradition mm-hmm. uh, as well. Uh, speaking of growing and challenges, and we'll wrap up here. We're, we're sure. over time, Mike, so I appreciate you. Yeah, uh, no, giving, we're good. Appreciate you giving me the overtime here. Uh, yeah. And it reminds me because of Tom as well, but you are now part of a one of my favorite podcasts, the, uh, the off-track meeting of the unknowing minds, uh, headed yeah. up by our good friend, Matt Eshi, uh, mm-hmm. And then I'll say starring, you know, guys like you and Mike Nelson, and Tom, and I'm sure I'm going to miss people here now. Um, yeah. John Bell uh, and um, Scott John Williams. Bell, Darren Flowers, Scott Darren Williams. Flower. Yeah. How could I forget yep. Darren, yep. the rock star he is? Yeah, yeah, so, he is um, truly. So how did how has it been this past year being a panelist on this podcast? Mm-hmm. You guys have done thirty something shows. You yeah. had amazing guests from you know Portia Dobson at Dartmouth, Vin Lanana. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, 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 Leroy Burrell, Mike yeah. Cunningham. I mean, just superstar uh, guests. Yeah, I, guess. I don't yeah, know how you guess. booked that last one. Um, <laughs> but what's it been like to, you know, be on a different role with these different coaches and asking sure. questions and learning from them? How has that affected you? 
Well, first credit to Matt Eshi, who was kind of the brainchild, you know, he's the one that does a lot of the legwork. He's the one that books these guests. He's reaching out to people and, and convincing them to come and sit down and spend an hour or two chatting with us. And, and he just does an amazing, amazing job. Um, I'm always excited to see when that email pops up on Monday or Tuesday, who we got coming on the podcast that Wednesday night. And it's, it's one big name after another. Um, but it's been a lot of fun. You know, it was just a couple guys. I was sort of peripherally attached to it in the summertime where it was a group of people were getting together on a Friday afternoon because we were bored and it was COVID and we were sitting at home and we were like, let's just have a talk. Like we would see each other at a meet or something like that. And I kind of got invited out of the blue and, and we just did that. And then somebody suggested we make it a podcast. The next thing you know, we're bringing on guests and before you know it, we're 30 some episodes in and we're editing and we're, you know, getting some people to listen and, and I, and maybe, maybe making an impact on the sport. You know, I think that's the ultimate goal is, you know, really, trying to provide, um, you know, ideas or trying to provide uh, constructive criticism or, um, you know, allow platforms to people to come on and talk about how can we make what we do better. And that's, you know, from a logistical, from a coaching standpoint, not from a, you know, we're not talking about workouts. We're not talking about biomechanics. We're talking about what it should a track meet look like. How do we get people to really be invested and enjoy and, um, you know, want to spend time out of their life you know, paying attention to what we do. And so in that sense, it's just, it's been fun. You know what I mean? A good way to, to spend a couple of uh, uh, hours on a, on a, on a Wednesday. Has anything stood out to you like, like super surprised you as you've gone through this journey? Um, maybe the willingness of some people to, to come on the show. You know what I mean? Like when I saw Vin Lanana pop up, I'm like, wow. Or, or Leroy Burrell. It's like, you know, people, like Leroy, especially, or Carl, and I, you know, and maybe I'll wrap up with this and, and to think about, like, sitting when I was eight years old in 1984 and watching the, the Los Angeles Olympic Games, right? And watching Carl Lewis do what he did, and, and then Leroy in 88 and all, all these things. And, you know, this kind of brings a full circle to sitting on the field at San Diego uh, the mm -hmm. first year. You know, all of a sudden, I'm sitting at the Penn Relays in the coach's box on the infield, and I'm watching. USA versus the world come ripping by in the four by one. And on my right, you know, it's Carl Lewis. You know what I mean? And we're all of a sudden, we're doing the same thing. And this is a guy who, you know, I don't have to tell you what Carl Lewis did, right? But, you know, you idolize that kid, that guy as a kid when you're coming up and thinking that that's something. And, and all of a sudden, it's like you're a colleague. You know what I mean? And, and you're trying to get your athlete to beat his athlete and vice versa. And we're both trying to accomplish the same things. And, I mean, how lucky, how fortunate that that's happened to me. You know what I mean? Like that's, it's just mind blowing that that could happen. So that's kind of to the podcast, you know, seeing these people that want to spend time and will listen to a question that I have that, that I've watched for years as a kid and idolized. And it's just a man, am I fortunate? You know what I mean? It's I'm really, really lucky. Well, you guys are doing a great job. Uh, it is not hyperbole. I've said it on your show. I've been on your show a couple of times now and had a couple of the panelists on our show here. Uh, it is my second favorite podcast. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. Yeah. Selfishly. Come on, man. Yours too. Yeah, Yours yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but you guys are doing a great job, uh, not only with the style and uh, the guests that you've had, but your uh, direction that you take those conversations. I think you are, uh, all of you guys get a lot of credit for you are doing things that will change our sport to a positive manner. Uh, I love the distinct personalities that each of you have on there. Yours included, you've become this, uh, um, uh, 
uh, pipe robe uh, bookworm persona there, which is my, funny because uh, no one can see you. Today. Yeah, I gave you a different angle today. So I, that was, uh, you know, I didn't want to, you know, try to create different different personas here. But yeah, I'm not going to lie. I was disappointed that we didn't get to see the quote unquote famed bookshelf. There it's, it is. It's all, oh, it's, I'll right. give you the window there. It's still here. But we just got yeah, to peel just, the curtain and see behind exactly. the curtain right there. That's yeah, awesome. But yeah. uh, you you do an amazing job there. I do highly encourage you. If you enjoy our podcast, you will, I'm pretty sure you will absolutely enjoy the Off Track Meeting of the Unknowing Minds podcast. They publish on Sunday nights uh, each uh, each week. And again, just amazing guests, amazing discussions. Please go check them out. Uh, it'll be well worth your time. Uh, and I hope today was well worth your time. Mike, I can't say thank you enough, man. What a uh, honor it is to have you spend uh, you know a couple hours with us today and, and talk about your unique journey. So much fun. So much fun. I love that you, I appreciate so much that you had us here, had me here. And um, you know, it's just a, a pleasure to be able to sit down. I've not really gone through it all at once like that before. So that was kind of neat. Well, it's great to hear, you know, the uniqueness of your journey. And honestly, you know, there's uh, themes usually come out of each one of these interviews and uh, several of them, I think, came out of your, your mm -hmm. journey, you know, and hope is one of those. Like, you know, I love that story. Go back and re-listen to that story of how he got the University of Illinois job. It is not all, you do not have to be the most well-connected person in the world. However, I think the, the, the lesson there is you have to be someone who will work, put in the work, and maybe as importantly, maybe as importantly, willing to put yourself out there. I think that's mm -hmm. the story when you talk about going to Redlands and then be, becoming the head coach and uh, New Orleans, everything. It just mm -hmm. it was putting yourself out there, taking that risk, being okay to fail. Uh, mm -hmm. And then, you know, the successes will come from that. So Mike, thank you so much, man, for being here today. Uh, just so, so appreciative of you. Thank you, Mike. Uh, love it. And can't wait to, to hear some more of your stuff. And as this, as this moves along. Awesome. I appreciate you. Well, thank you so much for listening to this today. Uh, again, if you would just do us the honor, it's really honoring the guests that we have here. Like Mike Irv today is sharing the podcast with your network. Uh, I'm amazed at how many people don't listen to podcasts. And, uh, and that's a shame because the guests we have here, that is what it is all about from the Mike Irv's, Karen Dennis's, Judd Logan's, Brooks Johnson's. I can't say thanks enough for the amazing, amazing people that allow me to, uh, to grill them and learn their journey. So thank you so much for joining us. I hope you'll join us next week when we'll have another just super awesome coach from around the world. Thanks a lot and have a great night.